is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Now, let me begin by saying that I recognized as soon as I saw this Will Smith smack of Chris Rock that I knew it was going to be a big deal. Um, it's a big deal for several reasons. It's a big deal because there's there's well, one, they're both celebrities Two, because it's an unplanned moment at an event where almost everything is super planned. It's a big deal because it happened on live television. It's a big deal because there's questions about race. There's legal implications. There's career implications. And it's just it's juicy gossip. It's easy to understand. There's not a whole lot of nuance in order to understand what's going on. You don't need to understand hundreds of years of European history in order to have an opinion on it. Everyone could have an opinion on it. I recognized right away way that this was going to be a big deal, which is why Sunday night into Monday morning, right after it happened, I talked about it for a full hour almost, much more than I expected. And even we went into a second hour, which is much more than I expected. Now, here we are. This is the we're, we're now it's now Wednesday. This happened Sunday night. It's now Wednesday. Again, I recognize it's a big deal and it'll go down in history in the real of, you know, never before seen Oscar things. But question I have to ask is, aren't we ready to be done with this by now? I mean, it's now Wednesday. We're still talking. It's still front page news. Everywhere I go, people are talking about this. Uh, Jim Carrey saying he would have sued for $200 million. Well, you didn't get smacked, Jim Carrey. Sorry. And I think a lot of us wish it was you that got smacked. But I'm I'm joking there, but I mean, let's move on. I mean, I get that it's interesting, but should it still be dominating the news cycle? Oh, Will Smith apologized. Jada Pinkett Smith says we need to move on. Wait, is Jada Pinkett Smith the arbiter of, of appropriate conversation? I just, in my view, I felt like it was something we would talk about for a day, two days. We're now into day three of this. We are now spending more time talking about Ukraine than we are inflation, the supply chain crisis. I mean, not Ukraine. We're now spending more time talking about the Will Smith, Chris Rock fracas than inflation, the supply chain issues or anything else. Is it that important of a story? This is something that will have an impact on almost no one's lives. I'm all for talking about things that are just entertaining for entertaining sake. But isn't that entertaining? I don't know about you. I'm kind of bored with it already. I mean, I'm ready to move on to other things. 800-848-WABC. What do you think? It's 800-848-9222. Now, there's two new aspects of this story that I thought were interesting. Will Smith, who was so outraged after he saw his wife's reaction to a joke that he laughed at. Let me remind you. 
about his wife being bald. Uh, by the way, on Sunday into Monday's show, I said that I didn't know if Chris Rock knew that she had uh, that alopecia, that condition. Chris Rock, and I'll take him at his word, says that he didn't know. Okay. Uh, which I think puts the joke in a much different context, but fine. Well, Rolling Stone has an article, and uh, Philippe, who's done a yeoman's job filling in for Molly. By the way, I don't know if you were listening at the end of the Dominic Carter show, Philippe, but that lady Maria said she stopped calling me because Molly was rude to her. You see, like the you you guys being rude to people can cost me listeners or at least callers. I can't. I don't have any listeners to spare. Believe me. So. Um, there's this Rolling Stone piece about uh, an, a, a clip from 1991, more than 30 years ago, that has gone viral, where Will Smith joked about a man's baldness in this viral clip. Uh, this is what Will Smith said about the bass player on the Arsenio Hall show, John B. Williams, back in 1991. Like, he has a rule. The bass player, he got a rule. He got to wax his head every morning. That's a rule. He follows the rules, man. He follows the rules. Oh, these are jokes. Come on. (laughs) See, you got too into the characters and got hurt. So there you go. He had no problem making a joke about somebody else being bald. Obviously, it's different if it's a man uh, than if it's a woman. Uh, Women could be much more sensitive. But, you know, this is a show where we like to explore conspiracy theories and so forth. But um, let me before I tell you this, let me begin by saying I don't believe this. But there's a conspiracy theory about this whole Will Smith thing. And I'm not talking about the Matt Blaze theory that a lot of you subscribe to, that this was all staged for publicity. This was all to use the wrestling parlance, a work. There's another conspiracy theory. So perhaps you thought this was all unscripted based on the fact that the broadcast audio cut out and Chris Rock was startled by it, but that's just what they want you to believe. That's right. This wasn't a singular moment, but this was actually part of a massive conspiracy. Max Blumenthal, um, who's with the Gray Zone, who I actually like. I'm going to try and get him on the show. He actually has done a lot of interesting work on the Russia situation. He theorized on Twitter that the slap was a manufactured distraction to keep everyone from paying attention to alleged atrocities committed by a unit of the National Guard of Ukraine. I don't believe that, but by the way, it, it's been it served its purpose of being a distraction from everything. We're not talking about anything of substance. Um, we're, we're just talking about this. But there are other conspiracy theories. Not only was this slap an attempt to make us ignore the war in Ukraine, it was also an attempt, wait for this, wait for it, wait for it. It was also an attempt to indoctrinate us and force us to get vaccines. How? Well, and again, I want to reiterate, I don't believe this for a second. The entire show was sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Don't you see? The slap got your eyes on the screen, and then they hit you with this vaccine propaganda about how the shot is safe and effective and successfully keeping people from being hospitalized by a disease that has killed roughly a million Americans. So 
Um, I don't believe that, but I'm curious if you do. 800-848-9222. Whether you buy these conspiracies or not, uh, I am curious if you agree with me that it's just time to move on with this. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Morning, Frank. Morning. You know, what struck me was that ABC is owned by Disney. Now, when I turn on the Disney channel, uh, my son gave me it as a gift for a year. Uh, and I want to, and I love to watch the Davy Crockett's, the old Davy Crockett's. There's a full page thing, a disclaimer about Native Americans and how things have changed. I mean, every time there's a disclaimer, what you do, it contains violence, it contains smoking. It's ridiculous. Every every freaking movie that's on there, there's a disclaimer. So I don't. I, why don't the Academy Awards have a disclaimer next year that it contains violence and foul language? No, that's not the worst idea that I've heard, actually, Neil. Um, I've noticed all those disclaimers as well. That's uh, that's a that's a fair point, Neil. Although they didn't expect uh, the uh, that to be in there. That's true. Uh, that is a fair fair point. So, are there any slap truthers in our audience that believe this was all orchestrated by Pfizer and BioNTech? Eight hundred eight four eight. Nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Let me say hello to Jeff in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Frank. It's it's not that far fetched that would uh, you know these biotech companies would pull something like that. But uh, that guy Will Smith, he. he uh, Jeff, you're breaking um, up, Jeff. Let me say. I'm on the Whitestone Bridge. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry you're on the Whitestone Bridge as well. Could have been a, uh, All right, Jeff. I gotta uh, let you. you know, the, I gotta let you go. I'm sorry. Uh, BJ is in Queens. Hello, BJ. You know, I renamed the Oscars many years ago. I call them the Harveys now. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> frankly, uh, this is a, this could be a plot from the Illuminati, Jeff Bezos the Chinese, and Putin to bolster the ratings of these horrible award shows that no one watches and have degraded the culture so badly. You're seeing these two guys beat each other. Uh, they can't even... Well, they didn't beat guy, each other. They didn't beat each other. Chris Rock beat right. up no one. No, that's true. It's true. I misspoke. Uh, but the one guy is such a child, he can't take a, a, his, his, his wife gives him the stink eye, and then he runs up on the stage and takes a swing at the other guy. And then time, big super-duper celebrities are chasing uh, 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 Will Smith around like he's a bride's, uh, uh, like the groom, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the bride at a, a wedding when the groom got drunk uh, at the bachelor party. It was the most ridiculous display I've ever seen. And the sad part is there are people that'll never be on that stage at the Oscar. That was their one night that they got a, a lifetime achievement or whatever they did. And Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, try and be Questlove, who got the best documentary Oscar right after that. I mean, how I mean, talk about having his moment taken away. But um, as I said on Monday, I mean, the, the thing the the people that it's really unfair to are all these artists that were recognized. Nobody is talking about the film Coda that won Best Picture. None. Nobody's talking about it. Everyone's talking about, about Slapgate. And, and uh, BJ, thanks for the call. 
Are there any slap truthers in our audience? Question one. Question two is, do you think it's time to just move on? I, I, I unless something crazy happens, like there's charges or a lawsuit or uh, Chris Rock or, you know, a cascade of people buy tickets to Chris Rock just so they can slap him at his comedy shows. I don't see myself talking about this again after today. I think I'm kind of done after today with this. 800-848-9222. Millicent is in East Orange. Is that your your name, Millicent? No, it's Lillian. He couldn't understand. Oh, it's Lillian. That that is a tricky one, Lillian. I can understand how Philippe was so thrown by that. I can understand that. Okay, Frank, I'm going to give it to you straight, all right? Excellent. I was hoping. This whole situation goes back to the last time Chris Rock did that doggone academy, and he made fun of of that girl, whatever her name is, Jada, telling everybody that she shouldn't have, she made a big deal about Bill, not whatever his name is, not getting the award for that movie he did, and she boycotted the thing, and he said, it was like nobody invited her. So then he comes along this time and he makes the remark about her being G.I. Jane. So he, because Will is now nominated for Best Actor Oscar. So, I mean, he was, I think that Chris was making a com, giving her a compliment, if you ask me, about how powerful she is to go from one year to the next to get her husband nominated for Best Actor Oscar. All right, well, so that... All of this other stuff is, is is like, okay, yeah, he did realize that at the moment she was like saying, like, you, what are you kidding me? You're laughing at this joke that I did all this to get you, I got you here, and now you're going to let him just offend me like that? So that's my theory. I want to hear what you think. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, look, I, I think... Honestly, my, I think you're overthinking it, uh, to be honest. And I think all the conspiracy people on the uh, slap truth in the slap truth movement are overthinking it. I think he laughed. Uh, I think Will Smith, I think uh, Chris Rock made a joke because he thought it was funny. I think Will Smith laughed because he's trying to be a good sport, looks over to his wife, doesn't want to hear from his wife that um, that he laughed at a joke at her expense when they get home, when their marriage has already had, you know, some difficult times. And I think he probably was, you know, did react to seeing his wife hurt. You know, it's a tough thing to see your wife when, you know, when she's hurt. I mean, I think every husband, uh, especially, I, I think every husband knows what that's like. 800-848-9222. Maria in Brooklyn, how are you enjoying your Molly Free Week? I love it. I love it. And I do love you. Thank you. But um, I call it was a time when you said any topic, any topic. So I wanted to ask a question and she didn't allow me to. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Boring. I wish you would have told me at the time, Maria. I couldn't call back. I was too afraid. I've been afraid since. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm um, glad you're okay. Juicy, though. It, the, the, the one thing I get out of this episode of the Smith is... Um, it's what the lady before and a couple of people have said. They boycotted the Oscars. And, and Jada made the point of uh, because of the race situation that they were not uh, getting due respect for, for Will based on his acting, whatever. And then he comes and does this. Let me tell you, Chris Rock was a total gentleman. Uh, and I would be mad if I was the Williams uh, 
sister. No, you got to be mad if you're everybody that had their their, yeah, their day, yeah. Maria. Uh, but what, what do you make of all these conspiracy theories, though? No, I, I don't believe any of them. I do. I think this is something. If you look at his face, the way he left the stage, he acted like the big macho. And then this family. Did you see what the son the son posted? He goes, "Yeah, this is how we do it." Meaning, like, this is how really, we react. really. Exactly. I didn't see that. Oh. Uh, probably because I stopped caring about an hour after my show was over that day. But uh, I, I uh, that is interesting. This, I mean, I'm not there, but I really think this marriage is not well, and unfortunately, uh, it, this is kind of karma. I mean, to get your moment and do it. Denzel Washington said it best. At your highest moment, the devil is always there behind you trying to trick you. Because like I said, they wanted that moment. They wanted the Oscars, the Smiths, and look what he then did with it. Fair enough. Thank you, Maria. 800-848-9222. Conspiracy theories we're looking for or... Your thoughts on whether it's time to we- to move on or not. If if you're not ready to move on, tell me why you're not ready to move on. But I honestly think after four minutes from now, I'm done. I'm kind of done discussing this. I'm I'm over it. I'm over it. Peter's on Staten Island. Hello, Peter. Um. Yeah. You know, I I think I I was done with it right after I saw it, and I wouldn't watch the Oscars anyway, which I think most people aren't watching them these days, and I think it was a publicity stunt. I mean, it looked so like a publicity you, you stunt. You think it was staged? You think it was staged? I mean, and you know, it raised the ratings. I mean, look how much the ratings jumped after uh, after he did the slap. I mean, nobody even really cared about it until that happened, and then now everybody keeps talking about it. It's on all over social media when normally they wouldn't even be talking about, you know, what was going on in the Oscars. So you think this event was staged? I think it was staged. Now, let's say they... uh, Yeah, no, I I hear you, and and I think Matt Blaze did a good job uh, making the case for that. I I, I disagree, but let's say they um, actually do go so far as to take Will Smith's Oscar away. Will you then still think it's staged? Um... You know, these people need the ratings, I believe. You know, I mean, a lot of these award shows have been taking a hit over the years uh, drastically. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think they were. I mean, it's causing a lot of controversy, right? So the controversy always sells tickets and uh, makes for a good show. And, I mean, Chris Rock didn't even flinch when he smacked them, for one. And I don't think he would have punched them anyway. It was just like a gentlemanly slap in the face to say, hey, you know. But I, I, these guys are two comedians. They're two actors. They're probably really good friends. And we'll never know if it was staged or not because they could get in trouble for that, I'm sure, just like Smollett there did with his thing. The minute I heard that. Yeah, I said, you know, the other reason I don't think it was staged is because so much, so many of the roles that Will Smith plays that he gets paid millions of dollars for more than most of us could make in 20 lifetimes. It are these kind of nice guy parts. And I have to think that, um, you know, whether it's a family film or a, a role where he's a hero and the nice guy and the sympathetic uh, romantic lead, I have to think that's going to put some of those roles in jeopardy. And I can't see Will Smith doing that just to bolster the Academy Awards ratings. 
All right, 800-848-9222. Tony in Florida, hello. Hi, Frank. Um, nice talking with you again. I talked to you last night real quick. Um, I personally don't believe it's the conspiracy theory, okay? Um, and I also don't think that it was a genuine tap. You don't a think what? What was the second thing you said? A gentlemanly tap. Uh-huh. I don't know if I can say this, but it was a bitch slap is what it was. And um, now my brother, on the other hand, has not met a conspiracy theory that he didn't agree with. So, you know, we were on the phone talking today, and his theory is that it, it's a conspiracy and it has something to do with the shadow government and that they were trying to draw our attention away uh, by something else for some reason. I, I don't know because I don't listen to this crazy stuff too much. But I did want you to know that there are a lot of crazy people out there with crazy ideas. Well, look, they're all crazy until they're true, right? So. I'd love to know which of these conspiracy theories do you believe? If you believe the Pfizer biotech conspiracy theory, that's the one I find most interesting because they were a sponsor of the show. And is this all a plot to get you vaccinated? I don't think so, but maybe you do. 800-848-9222. Ken in the Bronx. Hello, Ken. Oh, good morning, Frank. Morning. I believe it was staged because one, one Chris is, uh, Chris Rock's, Refusal to press charges because if it had been, if it was proven that it was false, he can be charged with a false police report. And number two, one of an actor's greatest skills is the ability to be able to cry on cue. And Will Smith, when he got up to accept the Oscar, the crocodile tears were, were just flowing right there. Another fact is that when, when, when Will Smith smacked Chris, Chris didn't show any indignation. Usually you get smacked, you touch your face. We have to remember also that um, Will Smith was in the movie Ali. And in these movies, they teach a thing, a skill called combat fighting, where you'll be able to make it look like you took a punch or you gave a punch. Well, it's so, so, funny, that, two- it, it's so funny that you say that uh, because I just saw a story a few hours ago that on TMZ in footage obtained by TMZ, there's a video from, um, from, oh, you know, that was obtained of Will Smith teaching a young kid named Chris, apparently how to take a f- fake slap on screen. So he did this yeah. apparently essentially right before the Oscars. You know, so that's, that's why I believe it's all staged. And what I also believe is that in all conspiracies, there's going to be a leak. There's going to be a leak somewhere that's all going to come out. Right, well, we, will see, we will see what happens. Uh, Ray in New Jersey. Hello, Ray. Hey, Frank. Hello, Ray. Yes, uh, I, I'm just curious why the average Joe uh, doesn't uh, get... You know, we get charges brought against us for assault, and then Will Smith can get away with whatever he wants to get away with. Well, I think that's a great question. Look, there's no question there is a double standard of justice in this country for the wealthy, the famous, the powerful, and then everybody else. Um, But, um, in fact, I think if you were at that Academy Awards, you wouldn't have even been in a position to walk up to the stage and smack uh, Chris Rock, but it's the Academy Awards. Who's going to stop Will Smith? 
Exactly my point. You know, me, me and my brother one time, we, you know, it's my brother. We had a little altercation and, uh, you know, somebody called the police and then, you know, my brother didn't want to press charges on me and I didn't want to press charges on him, but the prosecutor picked it up and uh, pressed charges on me. You're kidding. Assault. You're kidding. So, so you, you got into an altercation with your brother and your brother didn't yes. want to press charges and then they, they charged you anyway? Yes, the uh, the actual prosecutor of the town picked the charges up and charged me anyway. See, that's a shame. Now, again, I, I don't know. I mean, if you paralyzed your brother or, or cost him a limb or something, then I say, you know, it's probably for the best that you were charged. But if, if it was just a, a physical an altercation that got physical and you guys kissed and made up afterwards, I don't see any reason why you would need to be uh, charged, but I know that's sort of a slippery slope. But you're right. There's a different, as different of standard, a different standard of justice for Will Smith than there is for Ray in Jersey. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate the call. Thank you. Uh, Sherry is in the Bronx. Hello, Sherry. Oh, hi. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I can't sleep. Anyway, over the years, uh, I have found a metric that kind of clears things up when I think about, you know, what to do, how to see things. And I think we're very hazy about this in this country so far. Anyway, it's like, what are we teaching our kids? So it becomes really uh, immaterial whether it was staged or not. I can't believe we're talking about whether it was staged or not. What what we saw, what children saw, whether, you know, if they're up at that hour, is a physical assault. That That's my point. So it and sounds like you be, think he should be charged. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a physical assault. To me, it's a big deal. I hear a lot of guys come on and say, well, it wasn't a punch. It's only a slap. And I'm like, what? If somebody even steps into my space, I'm pretty darn touchy about it, you know. But we saw physical. Listen, think of it. What are we teaching our kids? So that clarifies. Oh, no. I mean, you're certainly here. right about that, Sherry. Sherry, thank That's you for calling. So you don't, it sounds like you don't buy any of the conspiracy theories from that the slap truthers. No, it may, maybe, maybe it's fake because, uh, you know, actors learn how to, actually my cousin put that forth earlier saying that she didn't even care about this, but people at work, that's all they wanted to right. talk about. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I'm ready to, I'm ready to move on personally, Sherry. I'm ready to move no, on. No, and, we all move on, but this, what, what I like, I like to grab onto things that address a big concept, you know, like who, who do I think I am? But really the bigger concept is I'm thinking, well, what are we teaching the kids about physical assault? I think that's a and, great point. Uh, he should have been escorted out. He should have been escorted the heck out. If yeah. Nothing else. Well, some that's- of the reporting says that there was serious discussion behind the scenes about whether, whether to do just that. And ultimately they decided not to Tom in Bergen beach. Is it time for us to move on from this story or should we continue on this for another month? Well, I don't think we should talk about it anymore. But what I wanted to say was always nice to speak with you. Thank you. And one day I'm going to challenge you to a game of ping pong. I, I would love um, that. I would love that. Uh, it's also finding the the time to play that's a challenge. We have a great listener, right. Anthony Viola, who always reaches out to me to offer um, to play ping pong. But we, we just can't <laughs> seem to make our schedules match. But I would love that. That would be great. Right. Uh, you know, I think you're right about this Smith stuff too much. You know, I'm over it. There are more important things to, that are going on that we should pay attention to, like, for instance, the laptop from hell finally being legitimized by the Times. You know, it took almost eighteen months, over eighteen months. What uh, I think I feel that left wing media has been infiltrated by the communist uh, element. You know, and uh, they create the narrative they want. 
They manipulate us with disinformation, misinformation, lies, omission of information, manipulation of information, and distraction, like what just happened. Do you think Hunter Biden uh, might have put Will Smith up to this? No, it's not about Hunter Biden, but I think it's just, you know, they're trying to create, I feel, I mean, I'm not an expert at anything, God forbid I shouldn't try. Um, What I think is that, I read an article um, about about these kind of tactics, about Leninism and Marxism. They use these kind of tactics, like you taking over the media on Hollywood, I guess, would be part of that. And, and that's what they do. They, they're trying very hard because, um, you know, capitalist uh, Republican that we have here. You well, know? And, so, and, so when you think you think Will Smith, when he slapped Chris Rock, that's what he had in mind, taking over America's capitalist system? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, what I think is, what I feel, is that they they're pushing this in the papers to to create a a, a, I mean, a, a distraction so we don't think about the other stuff. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I can they, buy that. They, I, I can buy they, that, Tom. Absolutely. Yeah. I can certainly buy that. That's fair. Um, I, I think it's more likely that the reason every media organization – look, I'm talking about it right now, and I recognize the irony of me wasting precious airtime to, to say, isn't it time for us to stop talking about this? I, the irony is not lost on me. However, um, I think the reason media organizations still keep doing this is because people are clicking on the articles. They're sharing the articles. They, people can't get enough of this. Well, after – 40 seconds from now, this will be a Will Smith-free zone. Uh, we will give the last word to Elena in Teaneck. Hello, Elena. Good evening. Good evening. Good morning. Actually, yes, you're right. Good morning. I have a total different take on this whole situation. I love it. Uh, I think there was long-term momentum going on in that family circle. And some, I think that this is all a pun on Best Actor, who created a very well-known act, again, not rewarded for it, but again, he created a great act. But I am wondering, who is the scriptwriter? Was it his wife or was it the third person who's dealing with that circle, mm-hmm. family circle? Very interesting, Elena. Thank you. And that, my friends, closes the book on my coverage of Slapgate. No further comments. 800-848-9222 if you want to talk about something else. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, coming up in, at 3.30, I'm very excited. My friend, he's not my friend. I feel like he's my friend. I've interviewed him a couple times, but I've never met him. Dominic Crea is going to be here. Dominic Crea is an interesting guy. And he's created a new online community to go after informants who lie. Now, I have some concerns about this, so I'm not endorsing this yet. But there's a big part of me that just loves this. I just love this. I can't tell you how sick I am of going to trial after trial and seeing these these cooperating witnesses lie and get rewarded for their lies with no jail time. I can't tell you how sick I am of seeing terrorist plots, kidnapping plots, so on and forth, orchestrated by government informants. Very frustrating. So I'm glad somebody's at least stepping up 
to clap back at some of these government informants. Um, we'll get into that with uh, Dominic Crea in the three o'clock hour. Uh, coming up in just a minute, if someone is no longer Speaker of the House, should you still call them Speaker? If someone's no longer Governor, should you still call them Governor? And if someone's no longer an Ambassador, do you still call them Ambassador? I have pretty strong feelings on the subject. Let me hear from you. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. So every day there's this fella that emails me um, with a detailed review of every single segment of the show. What he likes about it, what he doesn't like about it. And I, this is exactly the kind of thing that I think the Facebook group is for. But I've tried to get him to post in the Facebook group. So far, he has refused to do so. Uh, so uh, the only person seeing these emails most of the time, pretty much, is me. Um, so I'd prefer he put them in the Facebook group so people can respond. That's why Ellen Metzger in the Facebook group is so great. She does the same thing, but she posts it and people can respond. It's great. That's what the Facebook group's all about. You want to join that Facebook group, you can go to Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Now, the thing, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but there's one thing that I do that seems to drive him crazy. One is I think there's a lot of things I do that seem to drive him crazy. But one thing that I do that drives him crazy is if someone is a retired general, former governor, former ambassador, I still refer to them by their title. I introduce them as, uh, this is Peter Ford, former ambassador, former British ambassador to Syria. But if I, if I address him, I don't say, hey, Peter. I say, ambassador. Same thing for a senator, governor, general, colonel, whatever the case may be. Because I think that's the respectful thing to do, and I think that's proper etiquette. And I've looked it up, and at least when it comes to elected officials, most of the etiquette guide says you still address them that way. So this fella um, sent me two, not one, but two links to people who say something different. One is from a guest on this show, former guest on this show, Michael Tracy, who I, I love. I think he's the only person on Twitter worth following. And I think this person knows of my fondness for Michael Tracy. And that's why he picked a Michael Tracy tweet. And he, this was the Michael Tracy tweet. He had to go back to June of 2020 to find a Michael Tracy tweet that was relevant. Why do journalists and politicians insist on referring to John Bolton as Ambassador Bolton? 
He was U.N. ambassador for a year and a half. Why is ambassador treated as some kind of lifelong honorific? So annoying. Now, the one exception, that's what he said. The one exception that I've made to this is I interviewed a fellow who was governor of New Jersey. His name's John Bennett. I think he was governor of New Jersey for something like four hours. And I said to him when I interviewed him, do I, is it, do I call you governor? And he said no. He's, uh, now, if someone's governor for four hours, I don't think I need to call them governor. But if he wanted me to call him governor, I would. So I, I, I disagree with Michael Tracy. I think the respectful thing is you refer to someone by their formal title. Unless, and this is what some of the etiquette guides say, unless they left that office in disgrace. Now, there are times when I'm talking with a disgraced person, most of, uh, most of my friends happen to be disgraced, and I still will call them judge, congressman, senator. I think it's the right thing to do. What do you say? 800-848-9222. Then this same emailer sends me an article from 10 years ago in Slate um, headline, You Are Not the Speaker. Politicians like Newt Gingrich, who cling to their old titles, are pretentious, incorrect, and un-American. Un-American? Can we chill out a little bit? Now, Slate, by the way, it's a very progressive publication, so it stands to reason they wouldn't like Newt Gingrich. But to me, this is not a partisan issue, because I think this guy that emails me is pretty conservative. So, um, basically, there's a whole article about how Newt Gingrich gets called Mr. Speaker everywhere he goes and how he shouldn't enjoy that since he left the office on January 3rd, 1999. Um, he says, the, the excuse me, she, Emily Yaffe in Slate, it's as if he is Downton Abbey's Earl of Grantham, his honorific adhering to him for life. Gingrich is not the only figure in American politics who's attached to a t- job title he no longer has. Every ex-U.S. cabinet official seems to think he or she is a permanent secretary. And then, um, you know, she points out when Al Gore or Dick Cheney shows up to be interviewed, it's all Mr. Vice President. And, of course, we have a gaggle of former presidents running around who are loath to abandon being called Mr. President. Now, as the, the and I'm quoting from the Slate article, which is 10 years old. As the indispensable Judith Martin slyly notes of the recent President for Life trend, Miss Manners would have thought that having reached that position would surely have cured anyone of status anxiety. I don't think any former president has status anxiety. I think it's just a question of being polite. So what say you? Should I continue to refer to former officials by their title that they used to hold? Or should I just say, hey, John, I mean, uh, the things that work some people up, I'll just never understand. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-WABC. I do. I did want to mention this story. Apparently, there is now a hamburger vending machine. Have you seen this? Um, I, I didn't know this was something the world needed. Apparently, it is. And now you can find the first one in Jersey City's Newport Center Mall, and it'll give you a, a hamburger or a cheeseburger for $7. So uh, maybe this is the direction things are going. Maybe pretty soon all our food will be in a vending machine.
Uh, we've seen now burgers. I know you can get ice cream. Um, how far away are we from getting everything, all the food we eat, from a vending machine? 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on that as well. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hi there, Frank. I, I was just calling about um, what was said about people that served in certain offices. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you were a Speaker of the House or a Senator or a Governor, you people can still uh, call you that. Right. Right. Well, that's that's what I do. That's my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're entitled. Um, well, you. Uh, thank you, Carol. There's also I didn't uh, I wasn't aware of this or maybe I just forgot about it. There's also a pizza vending machine uh, that's rolled out in places like Michigan and a couple of other locations. And for 10 to 13 dollars, they could serve up a hot 12 inch pizza in under three minutes. Now, I kind of would want to try it, but. I can't imagine the pizza being that good. I mean, maybe it is. I haven't tried it, so I can't knock it. There's a cupcake vending machine. So I don't know. What about it? Are the food courts of the future going to be populated? But you know, the company that has this ro- this um, ro- this uh, hamburger vending machine in Jersey City, it's called Robo Burger. So are we going to see a world like the Jetsons or Star Trek, right? We just say a hamburger, pizza cupcake and it just pops right out is that where we are is that where we're headed eh, i don't know i'm not ready to get there yet 800-848-WABC gary is in inwood hello gary good morning frank a uh, question about last night's interview about amelia Earhart. what i found annoying or disconcerting was at no time in the interview navigator fred newton was ever mentioned yeah, that's a uh, that's a that's a fair that's a fair criticism. I, I should have uh, I should have brought that up. Um, but integral uh, part of the flight. Yeah, that's that that is a fair criticism. I did ask him off air his theory about um, Fred um, Fred, but um, he he didn't have really much of an answer to be honest. All right, I thought it was a legitimate question. Yeah, was absolutely, that's definitely cool. Absolutely, right, I'm Frank, glad you did. You, Keep me on my toes, there, Gary. Uh, Matt, would you get a hamburger from a hamburger vending machine? I need to know the semantics and the details of how that's going to work. Who's, where is it coming from? How is it getting heated up? How long has it been sitting in the vending machine? I mean, if it's, if you had a cheeseburger sitting out on your kitchen counter, even if it was wrapped in, in a wrapping for three hours, are you still going to want to eat that cheeseburger? Well, you know what, the, you know where I could see this working? Not, I could see this working in prisons, actually. Because if you, you ever visit someone in prison? No, I have not. So if you ever go to visit someone in prison, uh, they have all sorts of food in vending machines. Uh, and you go into a visiting area and you can only bring, I think, yeah, you can bring a, pl- you can't bring your wallet in or anything or a purse. You have to bring a, a at least in federal prisons. You have to bring a clear Ziploc bag with your money in there. And they do have hamburgers that come out, but it's a frozen hamburger. And then you have to throw it in the microwave oven. But, um, yeah, I, I have similar questions. Uh, I have similar questions. I like to know where it's coming from and how long is it sitting there? Do they, do they come every hour? Do they put new burgers in? I, they're not how, coming how does, every hour. You know they're not coming every work? hour. 
Yeah. It's kind of nasty. Well, maybe we'll reach out to these robot burger people. Or the pizza one. I like the same thing. How does that work? All right. Uh, Do you want to, do you want to take the lead on that? Do you want to reach out to the pizza and the burger vending machine? Figure out who they are. uh, Yeah. Well, see if they want to come on. They can ask, answer these questions. All right. We'll do a, a telephone town hall. Uh, what about you, Philippe? Pizza, hamburger from a vending machine? Like, I actually have eaten a hamburger from a vending machine. Was it like I was describing a frozen it's, burger? I, I no, that's it's a little different. I did it in Amsterdam where they have like a little, oh yeah, they have a, a, a fast food restaurant there that has like not only just hamburgers, they have like hot dogs and kebabs in vending machines. Uh, it wasn't bad, honestly. I really? Mean, at that point, there was. A bit of alcohol consumed, so my palate wasn't as clear as normal. But right, you'll eat anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But honestly, not even that bad. I probably would go back to that spot if uh, you know enamored. But it's it wasn't that bad. It was it was like a little different from what I saw. I looked up the American ones, and it's like an actual vending machine over there. It's kind of just like a a little lock box, and you just swipe a credit card uh, through it, and it unlocks the box with like a semi hot meal. And, you know, just grab-and-go type of stuff. All right. Well, there you have it. There you have it. Maybe there's more to these vending machines than uh, than we realize. I'm not ready to go there yet, um, honestly. I, I'm trying to think. I bought Dippin' Dots from a vending machine. Have you ever tried Dippin' Dots? That's the ice cream of the future. It's pretty cool. Uh, literally. It's pretty cool. It's ice cream with the oxygen removed. And, you know, it's just a novelty. If all ice cream was like Dippin' Dots, I don't think anybody would like it. But the fact that it's just it's so different than what you get with regular ice cream and that kind of melts into a, I don't know, something that looks like regular ice cream. I got it for um, my my niece. She's not my biological niece, but she's my uh, my brother-in-law's daughter, Jolie, when we were in Las Vegas, they live in California and they came to meet us in Las Vegas. And she was afraid to try the Dippin' Dots because, she, you know, she's a little girl. Uh, but once she tried it, she liked it. And that's that's my experience is that you you, you like the Dippin' Dots. But um, other than that, I don't think I've ever really eaten much in the way of food from a vending machine other than, you know, a snack bar or something or a granola bar or a bag of peanuts and maybe a hotel lobby. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think uh, to get to the point of hot food in a vending machine. I don't think that's I don't think that's for me. But this is America. Different strokes for different folks. All right. So so far, the only person weighing in on the ambassador situation is Carol. And Carol thinks I should keep referring to former officials by their title. So I agree. You agree. Carol agrees. I don't know that I need. I don't know that I need anything else. Let's see what Eddie in New Jersey says. If Eddie in New Jersey agrees, then it's a hat trick, and I think we have our answer. Hello, Eddie. Hi, how are you doing, Frank? Um, I do believe that former office holders should be uh, called by their former title because that is proper etiquette, and it's a way of showing respect to them. And because it's, I look at it, it's like a, having a, a doctor, let's say. Let's say someone was a doctor, and now he's not practicing anymore. You'll still call him doctor, right? Right. Well, I mean, if you have a, a doctorate, doesn't mean you were ever a doctor. But yeah, if you have a PhD, I think you should, or you know, a doctorate in education, even, and, I think you should get the title doctor. Yeah, and especially someone like Newt Gingrich, who was such an iconic speaker, he sort of became like the playbook for. Well, form, but, but uh, see, any- then then we're going down a slippery slope. Like, so w- w- I think either every former speaker gets it or nobody gets it. It shouldn't matter based on job performance. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But I just want to ask you. That former governor of New Jersey that you were saying, what was his name? Jo- uh, John Bennett was his name. When was he governor for? Uh, he was governor around 2001 or 2002. For four hours? 
Yeah, I, I'll tell you. I, I mean, again, we covered it during the time that he was. Um, uh, so, yeah. OK, four days it was. He was acting governor of New Jersey for four days, January 8th, 2002 to January 12th, 2002. Very interesting. And uh, yeah, I just really think that that's the proper way to refer to people. And it's, you know, I think you got the right the right way over here. You know? Well, there you have it. I heard from Eddie. I heard from Carol. Even Matt plays. I think this this is one case we're ready to close. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Every night I sit here by my window. Watching lovers holding hands and laughing, laughing And thinking about the things we used to do Thinking of things Like a walk in the park things. Like a kiss in the dark things. Like a sailboat ride things. What about the, oh, the great Bobby Darren? If you ever want to know what kind of music we're, we're, we play on this show as bumper music uh, just join the Facebook group. We post the artists and song titles there each and every day. Uh, just go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano or just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Now, want to thank uh, two of our great listeners, Bridget and Robert Guzzi. Um, they're, they're really much more than that. They started out as listeners of mine and then they became very good friends. They were at our wedding a couple of years ago and they're just wonderful people. They live in Florida and Robert's mother lives here in New York and she's moving out of her house and she had this, uh, grandfather clock and, um, they asked my wife and I if we wanted this grandfather clock and we said, sure, you know, we'll take it. It's kind of cool. So um, not only did they get Robert's brother, who is one of many New Yorkers who's in the process of moving to Florida, to um, deliver the grandfather clock, they insisted on paying the clock repairman to make it operational again. So today, or yesterday technically, was the first day that we had an operational grandfather clock. I got to tell you. I think this thing is the coolest thing in the world. I had my babysitter when I was a child. I would go to her house every day while my parents went to work. Um, had a grandfather clock, if I remember correctly. And I remember being fascinated by that as a child. And I hope my son will appreciate that clock the same way. But I, I'm pretty fascinated about it. It's neat that it makes a, a chimes every hour, every quarter hour, every half hour. And it just looks great. It's a great addition to our, our, uh, dining room, especially now that it is operational. So thank you again, Bridget and Robert Guzzi. Very kind. 800-848-9222. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, hi. Interesting topic. But there's another issue to consider whether to call, let's say, Ambassador John Bolton, Ambassador. From the host's point of view, from the show's point of view, you want the audience to know that this isn't just some Joe Blow John Bolton off the streets. I mean, some people don't know much. They hear the name John Bolton doesn't mean anything to them, perhaps. Some or, and, and by the way, most ambassadors are people you've never heard of. 
So, I mean, I think it makes sense to your point. Is that really true? I, I, which ambassador would, would half of the audience never have heard of, for example? Uh, well, more than half of the audience. Well, who's the ambassador to Canada right now? No, if you give me the name, I'll tell you if I know. Okay, so the, the, the ambassador to Canada currently is David Cohen. Do you know who David Cohen is? No idea. Right. So so his predecessor, the former ambassador to, um, uh, you know, Canada, Kelly Kraft, you would have no idea who she is. All right. That's that definitely you should mention the name. Right. But the host has an interest in people knowing that it's an important personage. It's not just Joe Blow, you know. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because. But I, I guess that... to give him the honor. You know, yeah, exactly. I was always wondering about Ambassador John Bolton. What was he with Trump? He was uh, National Security Advisor. Yeah, he was National Security Advisor. But because right. he left uh, being resigned or fired, that's why he's not calling. But that's a more uh, prestigious title than Ambassador, I think. No, I mean, yeah, but, um, but you don't really you don't really greet someone as as, hey, national security advisor. How are you? You know, you do say ambassador. It's sort of, it, it, you know, instead, uh-huh. you know, you would just say, sir, I guess. So Flynn would have considered would have continued being national security advisor. He would be called what general. No, no, you, n- nothing. I'm saying there's no, there's no way. You just the honorable. It's a, if you're addressing him, no, I'm saying Flynn. Yeah, uh, is it Flynn or oh name Flynn? Wrong? Yeah, uh, I didn't realize you said Flynn. Yes, uh, Flynn or Alexander Haig. You would still call them uh, general, although you know uh, Haig was general, Secretary yeah. of State. Uh, Haig would be Secretary of State. No. Yeah. Well, again, a lot of people still call them general, but yeah, uh, you I sort of have a choice. Good. All right. Thank you, Charles. Um, all right. Well, I think we're ready to close the book on that one. Let's close the book on that chapter as well. Oh, wait, actually, Larry has an alternative view. Uh, Larry, who a lot of the conspiracy theorists in our office act- uh, actually believe is Charles, who you just heard. Let's see what Larry has to say. Hello, Larry. Yeah, I just came out of the the uh, phone booth changing, and uh, so uh, <laughs> it, was, it was it was harrowing. You know, I didn't know if I would come out in time to take the call. Uh, but listen, I want to tell you something. You're completely <laughs> misusing this etiquette uh, uh, concept. You have no idea how you're misusing it. Okay, the, the real the, the real point of calling somebody by a title is if you wouldn't call them by the title, would you be, be dishonoring them? There is no, absolutely no reason to continue to call someone the title. In fact, that's why when they call Governor Patterson on the roundtable, he's always sticking his nose in that group. No, okay? he's not he's, sticking he, his nose in he's, he's, he's a liberal. Yeah, he's a liberal. Right. He has no business being there. Well, no, okay? but they have all points of view on that. But put that aside. So you th- aside. Yeah. You, you think, but, look, but put the ideology aside. You think, uh, does that apply to former presidents as well? Um, I believe I don't believe former presidents should be because president is is inherently a transient title. Uh, there are certain titles that stick with you, uh, like for example, an honorable title, like like a judge. You could be a judge for life, okay? And it's and not only that, but you're called your honor when uh, a judge. All right, so I, I got Larry. I got to run. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the um, the feedback. I'm still going to do what I did. Majority rules in this case. Help control the pet population. Have your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Some of you may remember this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had on um, Bill Burns. And uh, he doesn't make me call him doctor. But Bill Burns is a writer. And he's written a number of books. Some of those books are kind of out there. But I love it. I find him to be a, a fascinating, fascinating guest. And in the course of that discussion, we ended up talking briefly about Father Malachi Martin. Now, Father Malachi Martin, who I'm sure many of you remember, was a priest. And more so than being a priest, though, he was known for other things. He was known for being a professor a prolific writer, a biblical archaeologist, an exorcist, all sorts of other things. And it got me thinking about other priests that we know for doing other things. And I, just off the top of my head, without looking up anything, I said, let me see if I can make a list of priests that we know for being famous for doing something other than being a priest. And I only came up with with five, and I think one is even a stretch. Uh, so I got Malachi Martin, Father Louis Giganti, who, in addition to being the brother of Vinny, the Chin, Vinny Chin Giganti, was a city councilman from the Bronx who ran for Congress before they changed the rules. The Catholic Church changed the rules to say that uh, sit, that priests couldn't run for office. I think, look, those of you that, and I know there are many in our audience, that are radio historians, you'll recognize Father Charles Coughlin. Char- Father Charles Coughlin was listened to by... 30 million listeners each week. So while, you know, he was a priest, sure, I think most people around the country knew him as a a political leader, really, and as a radio personality. Um, Then, so those are three, right? You got Father Malachi Martin, Father Coughlin, Father Louis Giganti. Then there are... Two former priests that are pretty well known, mainly for their radio work. John McLaughlin. You remember John McLaughlin from the McLaughlin Group? Um, Great show, by the way, the American original. I used to love that show when he was on it. I used to love him. But John McLaughlin was a, a priest. I think he was even a Jesuit priest. And he left. He left the priesthood. Uh, he was not a Jesuit. Okay, just a regular, old-fashioned, traditional Catholic priest. Oh, no, he was a Jesuit. Okay. Um, yeah, so he earned two master's degrees. After his ordination, he spent some time as a high school teacher, and then he took off from teaching to earn a Ph.D., and then he wrote a thesis on uh, on uh, Gerald Manley Hopkins, 
And then he became a writer and ended up working in the Nixon administration and ran for U.S. Senate. And then, of course, was the founder of the McLaughlin Group. But he was a priest. That's certainly somebody that's known for something other than being a priest. And one more recent example, but he was known even while he was a priest, and he's even probably better known now that he's no longer a priest, was Jonathan Morris. Father Jonathan Morris of the Bronx is the, was the media priest. He was all over the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. He was all over Fox News, and then he left being a priest, but he's still a commentator on theological issues for the Fox News Channel. So that's the totality of my list, only those five. And I was wondering, is there anyone else that you can think of who was a priest, but who's famous for something other than being a priest? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And uh, you can weigh in on that. And I would, you know, it's just kind of an intellectual exercise. I'm wondering sort of how common it is. If you're a priest, do you still have a shot at, I don't know, fame as a media commentator or a novelist or a teacher or uh, a radio talk show host. The radio, I think, is more difficult these days. I think they they really curtailed the the Father Coughlin type of broadcast after that whole situation. Although there's still a Catholic channel and there are still priests that are on it from time to time. I don't know. Um, So... Help me make my list. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC if you want to comment. You can also find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. And on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O Fan. Coming up a little bit later, around 3.30, we're going to talk with Dominic Crea. He is uh, an interesting guy, and he is starting a mission to sort of clap back at federal criminal informants who lie. And maybe it's not just federal. We'll find out. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's state criminal informants as well. Diana in Manhattan, do you have a uh, a priest who's famous for something other than being a priest? Yes, I do. My grandfather in Spain who's still famous, even though he died long, long ago, uh, was a priest, left the priesthood, was known as the father of the poor, became, uh, was one of the founders of the Spanish Republic. What was his name? Was twice elected to Spanish Parliament. What was his name? And, oh, Don Basilio Alvarez Rodriguez, also known as Basilio Alvarez. He had a but he was sort of lefty, and he didn't want his title <laughs> You know, it's not good for a lefty to have a title. Right? Oh, so that was your that was your grandfather? Yes. Oh. He was a Supreme Court justice, like Sotomayor, like Kagan, at the end. In Spain, though? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, that is that is a good one. That is a good one. That's legitimate. Thank you. Robert in Philadelphia. Hello, Robert. How you doing, Frank? Good to talk to you again. Likewise. I'll be real quick, and I want to go with Reggie White, the Minister of Defense. Wait, Reggie White? The defensive star for the Eagles was an ordained minister the whole time. Well, no, but minister is not priest. Minister is not priest. 
You know, when you think of priests, especially Catholic priests, there's a whole, I don't know, there's a whole oh, different connotation. I'm a minister, right? I mean, I wasn't just thinking. I wasn't just thinking Catholic. Okay, no problem. All right. Well, well, I mean, I'm willing to include Protestant priests as well, but it's different. Ministers different. I'm sorry, priests. Priest is priest. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I don't know why. It just is. Just it. 800-848-WABC. Hey, somebody that may need to um, find a new career, maybe as a priest, although I don't think they'd take him, I don't think he'd want to do it, is the New York City controller, Brad Lander. Have you seen what is going on with Brad Lander? Apparently, there is a clerical error that might cost this guy his job. Brad Landers, the city controller, by the way, not one of my favorite politicians. And the truth be told, I don't like to betray confidences from friends of mine, but I've had a lot of friends in the city council that served with Brad Lander, Democrat and Republican. I have never met someone he served with in the city council that actually liked this guy. This guy must have been the least liked member of the city council by his colleagues, but he was elected controller. So now there's a clerical error that could send Brad Lander packing. We'll tell you about it in just a minute. Ella in Massapequa, do you have somebody for our famous priest list? I think I do. Um, Back in the 60s, there was a priest on the radio, Father O'Connor. He was called the Jazz Priest. Huh. Oh, that that is a and good one. He had his own show. He was on the board of the Newport Jazz Festival. Um, he wrote for Downbeat Magazine. And this is all while he was an active priest. Norman O'Connor. That is a good one. Yeah, that, that yeah. definitely counts in my book. Okay, you may want to check him out. He also started a choir, I think, in Newark, which is still going to this day. He started a... Um, a drug rehabilitation program. I mean, he was accomplished in so many ways. Now, do you think priests, because um, the Catholic Church, as I said earlier, put an end to this, do you think Catholic priests should be permitted by the diocese, by the Vatican, to run for office like they used to be? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, we asked the tough questions here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you got me, but I... I off the top of my head, I would say no. No. How come off the top of your head? I think because within their their ministry, it's going to polarize people. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. I think it's probably a sound rule. But that's a good one. Norman O'Connor, I am adding him to our list. Kenny is in New Jersey. Hello, Kenny. Yes, sir. Uh, Fulton J. Sheen. Fulton J. Sheen? Yes, he was a Catholic bishop, and he had a TV show. I think it ran for about 20 years. So he was famous for the TV show, in addition to being a priest. Yeah, okay, for 20 years, you're right. He hosted the nighttime radio program as well, the Catholic Hour uh, as well. That's that's a good one. Fulton J. Sheen. See, that's exactly what I'm looking for. That that's a good one, Fulton J. Sheen. That's cool. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Now, um, now I still will take your priest suggestions for my list, but I did want to tell you about this Brad Lander situation 
because you know how Cindy Adams ends her show only in New York, kids? Maybe this is not an only in New York story, but it certainly seems like it. So this is the top fiscal watchdog in New York City. He was sworn into office in January. And he was required to file something called a a, a surety bond to ensure that he would faithfully discharge the duties of the office. While he did so, the bond was not filed with the city clerk's office within the required 30 days. So he filed the bond, but he did not file it with the city clerk's office. So he's now calling on the state legislature to pass a bill extending the deadline for filing the bond so he won't have to vacate the office. So the the controller, this is what a spokesman for Lander said, the controller filed his oath of office with the city clerk before the start of his term and took out a surety bond to protect the city that has been in effect since the start of his term. As soon as the city clerk asked for a bond, the controller provided it. So an official with the controller's office said that the past two controllers... Well, let me, Brad Lander was on New York One with Errol Lewis the other day. This is what he had to say. Um, there's this question of whether or not you are officially the controller. Uh, there are these. We have a lot of quaint legal provisions, like the mayor is supposed to pay nine dollars and sign two books in order to get sworn. I don't know if you had to do the same. I paid nine dollars. I signed the two books, and I have this the surety, surety bond, bond right yeah, here right. that I've had since the start of the term in effect on file in the controller's office in the same file folder with Scott Stringer and John Liu's bonds. Okay. Uh, it turns out there was an obscure requirement no one was aware of, not the city clerk not any of them, that it also be on file in the city clerk's office. As Uh soon as the clerk asked, we provided it. Uh, Then it turns out that it was supposed to be provided by January 31st. And so we're seeking a a tweak to the state law to give us a little extra time to make sure it's right in the folder where it should be. Now, the interesting thing is the two previous controller, Scott Stringer and John Liu, they apparently didn't file their surety bonds with the city clerk's office either. So you're saying your two predecessors had failed to do it? No, uh, you can't find any evidence that any previous controller filed the bond in the clerk's office. And so who brought this to your attention? Did the clerk say, the hey, clerk by the reached way, you were out supposed and to said, give this to us back in January? Yes, but oh. after January. So okay. anyway, it's here now. I'm carrying it with me at all times. Yeah, you know, right. so. <laughs> now, here's what I wonder. Brad Lander is an awful controller. I mean, I don't want to say he's awful. He's somebody that I disagree with vehemently. I think he's going to be bad for the city. He was elected by the people. And so part of me thinks, all right, he shouldn't be driven from office on a legal technicality. The guy was elected overwhelmingly. The guy got over 80% of the vote, I think, around there. I mean, he got something like that. Maybe it was 70%, 70%, whatever it was. He got a lot of votes. It's clear that voters of New York City wanted him as their controller. But, and so on the one hand, I think, of course, Albany should give him this waiver to allow him to file his surety bond with the city clerk's office. I didn't even know the city clerk, I didn't even know the city controller had to do this. But on the other hand, part of me thinks that maybe this is an opportunity to get this guy out of office. And that maybe... I don't know. Maybe I should try to file a lawsuit or something to get him out of office. I probably won't 
One, because it's undemocratic. I mean, the will of the voters should be respected, even if this guy failed to file this bond with the city clerk's office. And on the other hand, I, I really don't have the time to go about filing a lawsuit for this. And he could worry about my paying job and being a decent husband and father. So if you have a thought on that, let me know. Uh, but it's, I'll still, I'm still taking your priest suggestions. We've got a pretty good list so far. John McLaughlin, Malachi Martin, Father Coughlin, Father Louis Giganti, Jonathan Morris, Basilio Alvarez, Norman O'Connor, Fulton J. Sheen, and Sid in Wayne, New Jersey. What do you have for us? Hi, Frank. I Hi. would like to give you a very, very famous priest, maybe more famous than all of them. And I'd like to make a comment on a priest that you mentioned. Uh, the famous priest is Father Flanagan. Father Flanagan. And remind us what Father Flanagan did other than be a priest? Started Boys Town. Oh, Father Flanagan. Okay. He made a movie out of it with Spencer Tracy. That's right. That's right. I've actually seen that movie. Uh, Edward Flanagan. That is a good one. It's one that uh, I didn't think of. That's precisely why we're doing this. Thank you. I just wanted to make a comment on a priest that you had mentioned. Sure. That's Father Coughlin. He was a racist, a, a, an anti-Semite. Well, I know that's why they, the Catholic Church silenced him, pretty much. They, uh, that, they that got him off the radio. That was a good idea. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Especially during World War II. Thanks, Sid. Uh, Trisha is in Trumbull, Connecticut. Hello, Trisha. Hi, Frank. Um, you said they didn't have to be Catholic, so I will mention Russell M. Nelson, who is currently the president and prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But before he became an apostle in the church um, some 30 years ago, he was a world-famous cardiac transplant and other surgeon who learned Mandarin uh, very accomplished, plays piano. He also operated on famous Egyptian, and I think he people. Really? I think he operated on the Shah of Iran and a Chinese opera singer. Very is that true? People. Oh, I didn't know that. That that is interesting. Thank you, Tricia. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Buddy in Brooklyn, what do you have for us, buddy? Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, do you remember Harry Chapin? Sure. He had a, a show, uh, charity, um, World Hunger Fund, World Hunger Year, mm -hmm. and he co-created that with Father Bill Ayers. Bill Ayers, that's right, that's right. It's funny, and when I had Harry Chapin's daughter on this show, um, you know, she talked about Bill Ayers, and people kept thinking she was talking about the political figure, yeah. Bill Ayers. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one, uh, Bill Ayers. He's still active in the priesthood. Um, I, and by I the way, he used him. to actually host a weekly radio talk show on our sister on, station, what used to be our sister station, PLJ, 95.5. PLJ on Sunday night. That's right. Yeah, I remember that well. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Maybe we'll uh, try and invite him on this show. That'll be fun. Oh, please do. I enjoy him. Thank you. Thank you. 800 848 Nine two two two. John in Brooklyn, what do you uh, have for us, John? Uh, there are two priests that won the Congressional Medal of Honor. Um, well, Father Capadano. Oh, you put him on? I didn't. I didn't no, him. I didn't mention him. I didn't mention him. Uh, your Father Capadano and the the, the priest um, that died in the, the career, the prisoner of war. Um, I, I I read his 
his biography. I mean, his autobiography, uh, his biography. I, mean, I can't remember his name, but I wanted to call him Father Capadonna. Yeah, that, well, um, I, I ride on his street every day, so uh, that's that's probably a good one. Yeah, he was um, he was a Marine, and he uh, died in Vietnam. Twenty seven bullets into his back as he was out in the uh, in a battle, uh, uh, giving last rites to. Uh, and then right out in the middle of the open field, and uh, he was killed like that. Yeah, no, no, that, no, no. That, that's a good one, John. Thank you. Uh, we'll do two more here. What do we got here? Uh, Frank and Yonkers, what do you have for us, Frank? Father Bruce Ritter of Covenant House, the famous pedophile priest like so many other. We're not going to count that one. Ross in White Plains, hello. Hey, there's Father Patrick Maloney, who was a Lower East Side priest who received a couple of million dollars from an armored car robbery in Rochester. He's been on with John McDonough on BAI, and he claimed that he was going to set up a credit union. But the Catholic Church took him right back. He's still practicing priestly duties down there. You know, that's a good one as well, actually. Five years in prison. That that That's a very good one, actually. Thank you. Th- thank you. I'll do one more here. What do we got? Uh, uh, Tom in Hell's Kitchen. Hello there, Tom. Hi, Frank. I got uh, one relatively new one and three old ones. Uh, Father Berrigan, the Pentagon Papers. Uh, what was his role in the Pentagon Papers? Remind me. He uh, helped release them. Ah, okay. He was put on trial for uh, for espionage, I think. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I knew his name. That's uh, That's a good one. I think it was Daniel Berrigan. I think it was, that was his first name. Daniel Berrigan. Yeah, one. Daniel Berrigan, yeah. He, a Jesuit priest, that's right. The three old ones were uh, had schools named after them. Uh, Xavier, Marquette, and LaSalle. As famous priests? They were, fam- they were priests, but they were also explorers, linguists, botanists, uh, Archaeologists. Oh, that's that, that, those are all good. That, those are all good. Uh, and I, and you know, it's funny. I, those are school names that you come across all the time, and uh, I wouldn't have thought of those. Those are all good ones. Uh, all right, no, that's good. You had an interesting suggestion, Matt Blaze. Father Guido Sarducci. That is good. That is good. As the uh, he is the gossip columnist for the Vatican newspaper. That is correct. He is. Uh, I, I've actually spoken to Father Guido Sarducci. He is. He is terrific. Now, he's not actually a priest, unfortunately. He should be. He should be. He should be. He should be. He's a, a great man. All right. 800-848-9222. We'll um, move on to some other subjects as well. If you have any other suggestions, email me uh, because we got a pretty good list here. And I'm not sure what I can do with this list, but I don't know. Maybe you could write an article or something. I don't, I, I'm not really sure what I could do with it. It was really just sort of an of a curiosity of something that occurred to me that um, I said, well, you know, let's see how many we could come up with. And we came up with a lot and there's still people holding uh, that have, uh, that have other suggestions. We'll, we'll maybe we'll revisit this in a future show. We'll see. All right. Um, if you want to weigh in on the Brad Lander situation, do you think he should be driven from office because he failed to file this bond with the city clerk's office? Why or why not? 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You think the state legislature should let him off the hook for old time's sake? What say you? This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. 
it up That's me in the corner That's me in the spotlight Losing my religion This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, So I've been telling you about the case of Officer Sal Greco, and if you want to help him in his legal battle as they're trying to persecute this man for essentially just being friends with Roger Stone, you can go to the website helpthisnycop.com. That's helpthisnycop.com. Yesterday was day two of his departmental trial. I was unable to be there. And um, you had a a lot of testimony, and I think the sergeant, the internal affairs sergeant that testified yesterday, really exposed how little of a case there is on this. And uh, from what I understand, they he immediately he totally fell apart on cross-examination. They were asking him, there was some mild allegation that uh, Sal Greco was involved in drugs. Sal's never touched a drug. And they asked him, well, did you drug test him? No. But they had no problem throwing that in there for taint. Now, the totality of the media coverage on this has been the Daily News, which for some reason, the Daily News is obsessed with this case. No other newspaper has written about it except the Daily News, which barely has any reporters. They barely do any original reporting. And yet somehow they found the time and space to write about this case. And the totality of the coverage from yesterday's day in court was that Roger Stone's nickname for Sal Greco was Jilly Rizzo, a reference to Frank Sinatra's bodyguard that came out. Um, from the internal affairs sergeant who testified yesterday, Sergeant Jerry Orenstein. So he said that Greco was questioned by internal affairs about Stone on January 25th and March 22nd of last year. Greco insisted the nickname was not a sign that he actually protected the Trump advisor. Um, so there, there you have it. The trial is going to continue on Monday, and I believe that uh, that's the day that Sal is going to actually testify in this case. I hate what the department is putting this guy through, and I wish I wish uh, Mayor Adams would step up here and put an end to this. This is just crazy. So I'm going to try and be there on Monday at, uh, at 10 a.m. At, uh, at One Police Plaza as this, this show trial continues. It's very tough for me to be anywhere at 10 a.m., but I'm going to try and be there because... I have to see what my taxpayer dollars are paying for. Now, a quick update on another case. You remember Richard Luthman? Richard Luthman was an interesting guy. He is an interesting guy. He was on the front page of the New York Post for um, challenging another attorney or another litigant to trial by combat then he was charged in federal court. He was arrested on a uh, uh, a kidnapping and a scrap metal scheme. And then he took a guilty plea, went to prison. And uh, then there was a state case. He's By the way, he's been my lawyer as well. He's re- represented me. Of course, I would have a lawyer that goes to jail. I mean, that stands to reason, right? But um, he there was a state case that prosecuted him for 
creating fake Facebook accounts of politicians. And I was surprised that he took a plea in that case. And other lawyers that I spoke to, including Ron Kuby, said that they didn't even think it was a crime what he did. And I didn't. Creating some fake Facebook accounts. But um, now, and I don't know that this has been reported anywhere, so you're hearing this for the first time, and if you're not familiar with Richard Luthman's case and didn't file all the substantial media coverage on it, then maybe you don't care. But for those of you that do, this is going to be big news. He is now going to try to withdraw his guilty plea in that case, in that state case. He is going to join me tomorrow, exclusively, 24 hours from now, to explain why. So that's pretty big. It has some pretty significant legal implications. And uh, Richard Luthman's just an interesting guy. He would always run around in a bow tie and always pick the big media cases. He represented the cowboy that got his horse confiscated, and etc. Um, so I'm looking forward to that conversation tomorrow. I think we're, we'll make a lot of news with that conversation. 800-848-9222. John is in Las Vegas. John, you have a correction for me. Yeah, I have a couple corrections because I know these people personally. Uh, Father Pat Maloney uh, is a Malachite priest, which is he's not under the jurisdiction of the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. And the money that he had was going to the IRA because him and his brother were big um, IRA soldier kind of people, and they were used to transferring money for uh, Irish people back to Ireland, you know, kind of a, a, an under-the-table money transfer. So that's why Father Pat ended up with that money, but he's not under the Catholic Church. And uh, the two brothers, the Berrigan brothers, Philip and Daniel Berrigan, um, they broke into a draft board during the Vietnam War and burned draft board files. Right, I'm reading about this of, now. Yeah, and both of them became federal fugitives uh, and hid out for a while. And um, one of them dropped out of the Catholic Church, Philip. Um, he married a former nun, and they spent the rest of their lives breaking into nuclear weapons facilities and going to prison uh, as part of what they call plowshares. The other brother remained a Catholic church, but they're both dead now. And um, uh, I actually knew all three of those people. And Father Pat's still alive. If anybody wants to talk to him, he's got his little church down on the Lower East Side still. So I uh, thought I'd call in and make those corrections. Well, I appreciate that, John. Thank you. Chris is in the Catskills. I love the Catskills, Chris. Hey, can you imagine if uh, with the ribbing that uh, – Curtis Leewood does of you if you would come up to him like, uh, you know, Will Smith. I mean, <laughs> geez, God. But uh, Don Imus had a character, Reverend Billy right. Bill, Billy Solhagas, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and Imus was the master of ribbing to get the ratings up. You know, Curtis is a master. He's getting everybody's ratings up by doing all that. This is hey, true. I wanted to bring up something about the controller in New York City. Uh, I'm a Democrat policy wonk. I've been an elected official. I've had fake, fake Facebook pages made against me. Um, Did you have those people arrested? I should have. It's a long, long story. (laughs) I'd have to talk to you about this. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Got it. But anyway, um, the problem is it's so ironic right now. You're familiar with the Socialist uh, Association of New York State, right? Um, Well, I'm I'm familiar with the DSA. Yes, that's what I'm referring to. So right now there's 11 assembly races where they're challenging incumbents 
right. who were all very, very progressive. So in my district where I live, Kevin Cahill, the Kingston Assemblyman, he's getting Marie Sinchi's Saugerties is back in his district. Right. Okay. He's getting challenged by a woman, Sarah Hanna, and she's with the Socialist Network. I heard her present to the local committee. Uh, the lady's clueless. She has no idea what she's talking about. Okay. So if there's, I believe nine of those assembly races are in the city and there's one in Orange County. If you live, you're a Democrat, you listen to this radio station, pay very close attention who you vote for June 28th and get yourself out and vote in the Democratic Party right, primary. Right. So Chris, what does this have to do with the Brad Lander situation? Because he's probably a progressive Democrat and all they're good is they, they're not good in office. He's not like, DiNapoli, the the actual controller who I've met and talked to, who's amazing. He gets tons of Republicans to vote for him. You know, nobody runs against him because he's so right. Good. Right. So, but so you think we should try and have, um, you know, Brad Lander thrown out of office? I didn't say that. I said we need to have policy wonks. All right. The okay. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thank you. Very helpful. Very helpful call. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. If you want to comment on anything we're discussing, uh, the Brad Lander situation where he's trying to correct this, uh, I don't know, clerical error that could keep him from office, or um, the and any the Richard Luthman situation, the Sal Greco situation. And again, you're going to want to listen to my interview with Richard Luthman. Tomorrow. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Dominic Crea coming up at three thirty. And um we'll co- we have a lot of other ground to cover between now and five AM as well, including uh we have more concert tickets to give away. If you want to participate in the conversation in our Facebook group, you can do so by searching Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. Uh we will continue in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The moment I wake of midnight i'm frank morano uh the caller before mentioned curtis lewa and you know curtis has some fun teasing me on his show on the weekend which i don't mind that's uh certainly certainly fine uh but uh there's this one lady that called in and you know curtis let her go on for eight or nine minutes but there were there were two minutes of this call that i found mildly interesting on i think this was sunday listen to this Wait, I have to also say my piece about Frank Morano. He is the most boring person (laughs) that that 
I that how he how he could be so popular. I mean, the man the man talks about nothing, really nothing. I understand. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on, Muriel. Muriel, hold, hold on. One, one thing. The most famous television program of all time was described by Jerry Seinfeld as a program about nothing. You do realize that. Yeah, but he doesn't have the, that talent. That's the point. Yeah, but you He's see, Muriel, Muriel, this is the problem. His ratings are skyrocketing. Well, I don't know how. I really mean it. Well, the, the, only way that, that, the only way that can occur, it's not like an election where, like, uh, for instance, uh, our colleague Rudy Giuliani says, oh, you know, there's fraud, Dominion, Smartmatic, the machines. This is all tabulated. He has skyrocketing ratings. His interviews are such that they're getting rave notices all over the world. They're going viral. And they're even talking about having him possibly come on in a cameo appearance from time to time. God forbid. God forbid. I can't. I just, I can't. Maybe I have, I'm a little biased when it comes to um, people who can't exert willpower. Now, you say that his refrigerator is full of cheese. Well, who eats cheese like that? If you want to be healthy, you don't eat old food, and that's what cheese is. It's now, old food. Now, <laughs> see, even though... He's e- such a contradiction. Right, He's but... such e- a contradiction. Even, even though you... Uh, uh, did not compliment Mayor Eric Adams. He in his press conference a while back, where he was wearing the apron, where he was trying to be Betty Crocker and cook while doing a press conference. He said, and this is a warning to Frank, if in fact this is true. Uh, Eric Adams, who does live a very healthy lifestyle, had uh, to face uh, diabetes that could have blinded him and some other high blood pressure issues that he had uh, as a younger man, and he changed his diet uh, totally. He said, cheese is worse than heroin. If you get an addiction to cheese, Muriel, it's worse than heroin. Now, say what you want about me, and I appreciate Curtis pointing out the the incredible ratings that we're doing on the show, but... You're going to pick on cheese? Now, I didn't even understand what she was saying. Now, she's basing her opinion of my eating cheese based on what Curtis says is in my refrigerator. We do not have that much cheese in our refrigerator. And I do like cheese. That is true. I have That is one of my weaknesses. But um, I don't understand what is the contradiction. She says I, I have no res- – it's such a contradiction – People that have no willpower. Well, I have willpower. I haven't had cheese in three weeks. I haven't had cheese all Lent. Um, I, I except maybe on a salad or something. I I have willpower. I could say no to cheese. I do like cheese, but I mean, come on. Also, what she says there about cheese being old food. I, I mean, that's ridiculous. Cheese can be old, but cheese has a shelf life. Sometimes cheese lasts a week. Sometimes it lasts two weeks. Swiss can stay fresh for three to four weeks in your refrigerator. Why does it stink? What? Um, Regat? Cottage cheese? That's good for at least two weeks. Cheese is not old food. I don't care what that lady says. Hell no. It's ridiculous. Um, 800-848-9222. I've never... You know, it's funny. Of all the reasons you could think of... 
to listen to or not listen to someone. Would you ever think someone would pick, well, I'm not going to listen to that person because I heard his refrigerator is full of cheese. Outrageous. It's the strangest thing I've ever heard. 800-848-9222. Well, today, today, uh, last night into today, was a big day in the Morano household. Because I've told you before of the difficulty that my son has had in staying asleep for more than, say, four hours at a time. And uh, yesterday, last night was the night, he's now four months and five days old. So they say once you're four months old, that's when you can begin what they call sleep training. Sleep training, for those of you that are not parents or haven't been parents in a while, sleep training is essentially when they start crying, you just leave your child there until they fall asleep. And it's very difficult to do because sometimes there can be like a a blood-curdling cry, like a scream, where it sounds like the kid is in pain. And it's very tough to let your child just stay there. This is actually Carmine, right? Yeah. See, he could cry much worse than that when he's in the mood. So last night was the first night that we were going to start with this. And um, I came here, I got here to work around 11, and I had already gotten a message from my wife who told me in, in words or substance that the first night of sleep training didn't work out so well because it was the child already woke up and screamed until I gave him a bottle. Not even 11 p.m. So there you have it. Hopefully he was better for the rest of the night, but I'm not so sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm curious. I, we'll see how tomorrow goes. I'm hoping this is a brand new era for him and for my wife. He didn't sleep barely at all last night. And then when I came home, my wife hadn't slept. I said, you know, I'll take him. You can sleep a little bit. And uh, she slept for two hours while while I stayed up with him. But he didn't really have much of an interest in sleeping. The only way that I got him to sleep, and I fed him, I changed him, was I let him sleep on my on my chest for a little while, maybe maybe forty five minutes to an hour. And I was happy that he stopped, you know, speaking and, and crying. Sometimes he speaks, sometimes he cries. But then, um, he's sleeping on me for forty five minutes or so. But now he's heavy. He's over 13 pounds now. So when he sleeps on me, it's not like having a six-pound newborn sleep on you. It, it, it hurt my back after a while. So um, I, I was hopeful that he would sleep a full night this evening. But uh, at least as of, as of now, he has not done so. So we'll see. I guess we'll stick with it. I guess that's what you have to do with sleep training. They call it sleep training uh, for a reason in that it's, it's training it takes time. Hey, Matt, have you seen this employee suggestion box thing that we were sent out? I've heard about it. I haven't. Is there an actual box? No, it's like virtual email. Yeah. I, I know about it. You, I don't know if the, I, I haven't made any suggestions. You have not made any suggestions. I have not. Philippe, have it, you made any suggestions? Uh, no, not formally. Isn't it anonymous? Well, it can be. And that's what I was going to ask you is so I submitted a suggestion yesterday. And my suggestion was very simple, just to have a coffee machine near <laughs> nearer to the studio so that 
when the air talent needs a cup of coffee, they don't have to do the hundred yard dash down the <laughs> hall and then come back within 77 seconds. So, so anonymous that they talked about it like a week ago. <laughs> right, right. That's why everyone knows <laughs> it's knows. me. But so I didn't, they give you an option of whether or not to sign your name. And I was curious what you did on your suggestions, but it sounds like you haven't made any no, suggestions. No, but if it's virtual, how do you, is it a place you go and put it in? Is that what it is? You can't send an email. Well, yeah, it's like a, a web form. You oh, type in form, right, right. what your, your suggestion is right. and so on and so forth. But, I'm wondering if I should – I have a number of other suggestions. I'm wondering if I should keep making all these suggestions anonymously or if I should say that it's me so that if there's questions about following up on the suggestion, they can do so. I'm I'm, I'm really not uh, sure. And I also don't want to be the only one that's making suggestions, but I feel like I might be. Well, there's no way of us knowing if you would be the only one. Right. But I would think if you signed your name – it would probably happen more quickly because they'd want to keep you happy. Do you you think that? I, I, I almost think that if they think it's from somebody else, then it's more likely to happen. No, they're going to who cares? We don't know who this is. But if they go, oh, yeah. Mike Morano, the overnight. That's right. The ratings. We need to yeah. keep this guy happy. Yeah. Uh, so your suggestion for my suggestions is to is to sign my name to them. Absolutely. All right. What do you think, Philippe? Do you, do you concur with that? Sign him from Kickflip. <laughs> That guy doesn't like his identity being uh, revealed, but uh, fair enough. Uh, Joe is in the Bronx. Hello, Joe. Joe. Well, Joe has found other things to do. So be it. Um, so be it. All right. Fred in Garfield. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Uh, Will Smith. The whole situation Fred, was... Fred, did you hear at the beginning of the show when I said we, I was done talking about Will Smith? Did you hear that? No. You didn't hear that. Do, do, you, do you feel this is a story that's not getting enough attention? No, nobody ever said what I'm going to say, and it's real okay. quick. Okay, all right. Will Smith, the problem was Will Smith was a bully, and I could prove it. Because if, if, uh, if the comedian was Mike Tyson, would he slap him? Yeah, uh, I don't think so. Or if it was The Rock, for instance. Imagine if it was The Rock instead of uh, Mike Tyson. It was a matter of being a bully. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right to some extent. that would have been the end. It would have never happened. Fred, you're you're allowing me to get trapped into this Will Smith vortex again. I'm done. Done with Slapgate. Done with it. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. Moving on to other things like, like like whether or not my suggestions should be signed or not. Or whether or not cheese is old food, as that lady says, which I don't think it is. I mean, say what you want about me. I don't remember if that was, I think Muriel was her name or whatever. Uh, or say what you want about me, Muriel, or Eric Adams, but leave cheese alone. There's no need to pick on cheese in such a manner. So uh, coming up at 3.30, you're going to want to listen to my interview with Dominic Crea. We're going to talk about the role informants play in the criminal justice system and what to do when informants lie. Uh, That is a conversation you are not going to want to miss. And in the four o'clock hour, we have a pair of concert tickets to give away to the Palladium in Times Square. Uh, It's some great upcoming concerts, including for Tommy James and the Shondells. Uh, That should be a a lot of fun, that concert. And if you want to get tickets and you order them on Ticketmaster, if you use the promo code RADIO, you can do so when you you can uh, actually get a special deal. I don't know exactly what the deal is, but 
if you go to Ticketmaster.com and use the promo code radio, you can get a special deal, which is a pretty neat thing if you want to see Tommy James and the Shondells. Love Tommy James. We may have to try and get him back on this show. He's uh, he's just terrific. Nobody liked Tommy James as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know whose birthday it is today, by the way? It is the 77th birthday of Walt Clyde Frazier from the New York Knicks. 77 years old. I'm not just mentioning that because 77 is our radio station, but who knew? 77. It seems like a guy who's just in, e- eternally youthful. So it's a uh, happy birthday to him. And it just so happens, you know, I've become much more a believer of this astrology stuff that people who have the same signs and the same birthdays share the same characteristics. I always thought it was interesting, for instance, that Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern have the same birthday. I mean, what are the chances of that? And apparently there are a lot of people that um, have a certain type of sign that have a lot of the same talents. Heisman Trophy winner and Pro Football Hall of Famer Earl Campbell. It's also his birthday today. He's got the same birthday as a Basketball Hall of Famer, Walt Clyde Frazier. Cy Young, the famous Baseball Hall of Famer. Today's also his birthday. So I, I really do think there's something to that. It always seems to work out that whenever I look through the list of birthdays, there's a lot of people that with similar characteristics that are people that are musical or people that are actors, people that are comedians, people that are athletes that seem to have the same birthday. And today, for whatever reason, March 30th seems like it's a lot of athletes. You remember what else happened on March 30th? A lot of you probably remember this from 41 years ago. President Reagan was shot by John Hinckley. I was working on, uh, there are a couple of uh, conspiracy theories relating to the Reagan assassination, uh, uh, Reagan assassination attempt by John Hinckley. I tried to reach out to some of these authors, but nobody, uh, nobody came on and nobody was up. Nobody got back to me. So I don't think it's worth repeating some of these theories because I don't want to slander some of the people that are implicated in some of the wackier conspiracy theories, but uh, they are out there. Uh, there are out there. So uh, that, I mean, you think about it, John Hinckley's free now. And I realized that he was not guilty by reason of insanity. Then he was in a mental hospital and he's sort of over his situation with mental illness. But call me crazy. But if you shoot somebody like President Reagan or James Brady, who died in part as a result of the wounds that he spent almost 40 years dealing with and was never the same after that. I don't know that you're ever going to be well enough to be part of society, but I guess that's not for me to judge. It's for authorities and medical professionals uh, to judge. But 40 years ago today, John Hinckley shot President Reagan. Uh, And uh, what a a story that was. And you remember Reagan broke the curse because prior to Reagan, every president after I believe it was 1820, um, every president after 18, who, after 1820, who, no, 1840, 1840, every president that was elected in a year with a zero died in office, except Reagan, who was shot, but didn't die. So at, now, at, um, the next one with a zero was Bush, 
And now every president is elected in a year with a zero. But so every president elected in a year with a zero died in office from 1840 till I guess the last one was John F. Kennedy in 1960. So um, Reagan, I guess, broke the curse. So I guess all the other presidents have him to thank for breaking the curse. All right. Coming up in just a minute, we'll take your calls at 800-848-9222. And, oh, there's a new Buffalo Billion. If you are a New York State taxpayer, then the Buffalo Bills should be thanking you because you are about to fork over almost a billion dollars in taxpayer money for a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills. How do you feel about that? <laughs> we'll get into it. And uh, Dominic Crea joins me to talk about the role of informants in the criminal justice system. Until next hour, keep asking questions. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I am, uh, I'm a football fan, but unlike most football fans, I don't really have a, I don't have a team that I love. I, I root for the Jets, I root for the Giants, but it's difficult for me to get that crazy about them because they play in New Jersey. And so that's why I, I do, especially when they're not playing the the Jets or the Giants, I do root for the Buffalo Bills. And somebody that you may have your questions about her as a governor, someone who you can't question her Buffalo Bill fandom is Governor Kathy Hochul. Governor Kathy Hochul is a real from that part of the state. And perhaps that's what is driving this decision. So there was an agreement announced on Monday. You probably didn't hear about it because we were still busy talking about the slap herd around the world. There was an agreement announced on Monday where the state of New York is gearing up to spend a record amount, a record amount of public money in exchange for a new 1.4 Buffalo Bills 
excuse me, $1.4 billion Buffalo Bills stadium that would keep the team in Buffalo for another three decades. So this long-awaited agreement includes $600 million from the state of New York and $250 million from Erie County. This is the most public money spent on an NFL stadium ever. In the history of football, in the history of New York State, in the history of taxpayers. The rest is coming from a $200 million loan from the NFL, approved yesterday, and $350 million from billionaire Bills owners Kim and Terry uh, Pegula. Now, I, I don't want to sound like a spoil sport here, and I know the Bills are excited about this. I know they're excited to um, keep the team in Buffalo and I know there's a lot of jobs that are created with a football team in Western New York. And I know Western New York has had a tough time. But I don't know how you feel, but I don't feel great about handing $600 million over to a team in taxpayer money so that they can make money. This is, uh, you know, liberals call it corporate welfare. Progr- uh, conservatives call it crony capitalism. Whatever you want to call it, this is it. This is it. Now, whenever there's a debate about corporate welfare, people always say, well, it creates jobs down the line. It creates taxpayers down the line. This plants the seeds and allows a community to grow. Well, I don't think that's right. I don't think. We as taxpayers should be essentially picking winners and losers in the private sector. Well, so um, you're going to give the bills $850 million in taxpayer money? Well, if the Jets and Giants want to move back to New York City, are you going to give them the same deal? If not, why not? How do we pick? How do we pick, oh, this team's okay for $850 million in taxpayer money, This team's not. Are you going to give the taxpayers a little bit of a break on ticket prices? I'm betting you won't. I'm betting the taxpayers still won't be able to afford to go to these games. And they're still going to pimp out these stadiums filled with ads with an emphasis on luxury boxes and essentially ripping the consumers off. This doesn't sit right with me. I don't like it. I've never liked corporate welfare. I don't like this. How do you feel about it? 800-848-9222. Look, I'm not a hardcore ideologue on this issue. I recognize that there might be times when uh, there's an essential private sector business that you need to give a little bit of taxpayer, I don't know, assistance to in order to keep them and keep them there and keep the thousands of jobs from going away. But as much as I like football, football is not an essential service. I don't think this is what the taxpayers should be funding. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. 
two two. Um, and and you know what? I'm surprised. Unlike the Amazon deal, when when Andrew Cuomo and Bill De Blasio first announced the Amazon deal, there were critics on the left that complained about all the taxpayer subsidies that was going to Amazon and building a heliport for the world's richest man. And there were critics of it on the right. I find the silence on this Buffalo Bills issue deafening. Deafening. So um, she says the stadium, keeping the stadium there, Governor Hochul, says that keeping the stadium in the state will generate, will continue to generate $27 million a year in taxes. So figure in 10, 20, 30 years, not counting inflation, in 30 years, the state makes its money back. Well, is this the best use of $600 million in your money if you're a taxpayer of the state of New York? Is there anything else that we could invest in that might generate a little more revenue for the taxpayer? I'm betting there is. I, I Look, this argument about corporate welfare and billionaire owners begging the taxpayers for a handout is not a new one. And it's not going away anytime soon. And I guess I'm repeatedly on the short end of the stick on this. But I, I think this is just, I think this is awful. I think this is a mugging of the taxpayer. I think this is a bunch of politicians giving your money away to a bunch of billionaires who I'm betting are also campaign contributors to the people making this decision. So you see how it works? The private sector billionaires donate a whole lot of money to politicians that control hundreds of billions of dollars. And those politicians then give the billionaires hundreds of millions of dollars. There's something wrong with that. And who, who gets screwed? You do. The taxpayer on the front end and the consumer of the NFL on the back end. Where's your break? I don't like it. And I know people are going to disagree, and that's fine. Uh, disagree. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Annette on Long Island. Hello, Annette. Uh, good evening, uh, Mr. Morano. Uh, I have uh, two comments. Unfortunately, I'm not calling about football. I've been holding on about two previous callers. I, I listen every night, and I heard the call about the, the other night about the lady who spoke about cheese. And I took her comments to mean about, uh, like, hard cheese. I think that she meant when she said old cheese, cheese is aged, other than soft cheese like uh, cottage cheese and regatta. Cheese is aged three to six months, something like that. I think that's what she meant. And then the other, uh, what what bothered me about the caller that called, uh, you repeated the conversation she had with Curtis Lieber. In my opinion, if you hear something, a discussion or a comment that a caller makes, it's more appropriate for you to call that host and not call another host, like she called you complaining. Right. Well, I, yeah, I can, I can understand that. Right. So she should have called me if she had a problem with the cheese exactly. in my refrigerator. And not, and not leave it up to your coworker. You call 
your co-worker and complain about you. To me, in my opinion, that's not appropriate. You call the person that made the comments and discuss it with him. Right, but I don't even think uh, I made any comments. But No, God. I'm talking I'm talking about the lady. Right. Right. Fair enough, fair you know, enough. Yeah, you call that person and discuss it with him. Don't leave it up to his somebody else, another another host, and and complain. And the other thing I wanted to say was, you mentioned a num- number of people who had a birthday. Well, today is my birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Annette! Thank you very much. Are and you, I enjoy your show. Oh, well, that's listen, uh, that's nice. Are you an athlete of some sort? No, I was. I'm an old lady. Uh, I'm well, in there my goes 80s. well. There goes my theory. Were you ever an athlete of some sort? Uh, I used to do some running. I, I you know, I did uh, involved in uh, quite a few things, but right. never, never uh, extent, extensively. Well, happy birthday! What, what are you doing for your birthday? Anything fun? Uh, well, I was out today at a friend's for dinner, and I'm going out tomorrow with a friend. He's taking me out for dinner tomorrow. Uh, nice, very uh, nice. Other than that, I lead, since COVID, I lead a pretty lead a pretty quiet life. All right. Well, you know, uh, not not going out. I got used to that, and it doesn't bother me. I like my own company, I guess, and I get involved in. I do a lot of craft work. I do a lot around the house, so I'm busy. I'm well, busy. I'm pleased to Thank see you. that. I'm I'm glad you're going out today. I hope you and your friend have fun. Enjoy it. Happy birthday. I hope all your and, wishes come true. And thank true. you. And thank you very, very much. Goodbye. Goodbye, Annette. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Pamela is in Central Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Uh, hello. Uh, yeah, I just, I can't believe this. The, your, your mayor, first of all, gives favors to celebrities in the theater and athletes. Now more favors to athletes, the NFL, who has hated on America for the last three years uh, with this giveaway. And you're right. It's uh, quid pro quo. And my God, come on, people. When uh, ugh, th- This is a disgrace. I mean, this is just the epitome of disgrace. And then common people. I, uh, I was talking about this with my husband saying, geez, you know, you used to be able to go to a ball game in the right. 50s and right. 60s for what? Like $2, not yeah, even? Yeah, if that. Uh, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. Now, Pamela, what do you say? Uh, obviously, it sounds like we're on the same page, and I hope people call in and disagree with me at 800-848-9222. But what do you say to the argument, look, if if they didn't get this new stadium, they were going to move out of Buffalo and take all those jobs with them and take all that tax mo- revenue that they're creating for the state with them. What do you say to that argument? Well, they did it with Amazon and didn't get seem to care. You know, um, right. uh, they've had other opportunities. And, and it's, it's funny how the athletes and the celebrity are being favored. And when they went to that big opening for um, um, the music man, uh, all the all the politicians were there where, where they flew in. They didn't care about climate change or anything. It's all for the celebrities. It's all boy. We have an elitist in this country. And listen, I'm a capitalist. I'm all for businesses and everything, but the NFL being favored. Well, then uh, what was the problem with Amazon? Yeah, well, you know? again, I, I, I was against corporate welfare in both cases, uh, Pamela, but your point's well taken. Thank you. So now to the people like me complaining about the price tag, Governor Hochul says it's only the number, not the total share of public dollars that is record breaking. Now, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard anybody say. It's only the number, not the share of total public dollars. Well, it's still $600 million. That's still $600 million 
from hardworking taxpayers of New York who are taxed to death who can't even afford to continue living here because the taxes are so high. It's still $600 million that we're giving to a football team instead of investing in, I don't know, schools, roads, bridges, uh, salaries for uniform services. This is unbelievable. So in this deal, the public financing would be 61%. And she points out that's well below comparable markets. The public paid for 94% of the Cincinnati Bengals stadium, 91% of the Baltimore Ravens stadium, and 86% of the Indianapolis Colts stadium. That's what Governor Hochul said. Um, there's still a lot before this is official. At least some of the money needs to pass through the state budget that is due by Thursday. So we will see. If it does, um, few lawmakers, though, have indicated they're looking to spend energy blocking this money, though plenty in the Capitol have said they don't see why the state should spend so much propping this up or any other sport. Well, say something then vote no on this budget then. But since it's Albany and nothing's final until everything is, no one is raising both arms in touchdown victory just yet. That's uh, from Politico, New York. That clever turn of phrase there. George is in Brooklyn. Hello, George. I'm curious about this. Uh, where would the Buffalo Bills move? There's a football team in Pittsburgh. There's a football team in Cleveland. There's a football team in Cincinnati. I mean, everywhere around them, there's a football team. There's a football team in Boston, in yeah, the Boston you're right. area. You're they right. I mean, uh, what would they do? Move to Toronto? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a great question. And good luck to them. If they want to betray the people of Buffalo like that, the so-called Bills Mafia, uh, fans that have been so loyal to them through losing five Super Bowls in a row, then if that's the the gratitude that you want to show your fans because you want a a taxpayer handout, uh, then, I mean, I don't even want to know you if that's the case. I mean, Ursay is a persona non grata in Baltimore after what he did to the Colts. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm a I'm a Mets fan. The old Shea Stadium was perfectly good. It did not need to be replaced. Well, look, I'm a Mets fan too, George. Uh, let's let's be honest. The old Shea Stadium was it was not in the best shape. It wasn't. It was only forty years old. No, I know, I know. I'm not saying it was old, but it was it was a little disheveled. It was it, it was. Now again, I I think whether or not they need a new stadium, that's one question. Whether or not the state taxpayers should fund six hundred million dollars and the Erie County taxpayers should fund two hundred fifty million, I think that's another question. Uh, Jennifer's in Boston. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Frank. If I could quickly hit three bullet points. Boom! First, absolutely, like sure. Thank you. Thank you in advance. Um, I think that those figures are obscene, both county and especially statewide. Um, because I assume countywide is where the stadium is. Correct. So that was one thing. Um, but you can make an awful lot of interest on, on investments on six hundred million dollars. And what did she say, 30 years out to even recoup the base? I think that's disgraceful, especially when you have more and more taxpayers fleeing New York. Um, two other things quick. Um, and, and especially when you have things like that poor man being nearly beaten to death trying to get breakfast at McDonald's this morning. I think they sh- uh, the governor should have far more important things to, to think about. Um, 
the um, Sal Greco case, uh, I would just again urge you, um, if you think what he's going through is hell, that whole January 6th book that we talked about, because believe me, Frank, it's directly on par. Every time I've heard you discuss him and why they're going after him, that's all I can think of is those people sitting and rotting uh, where they can't, I think once or twice only, they've been allowed um, members of Congress to come and visit, um, much less family or anything mm. else. So it's horrific the way they I told you, literally being treated better at Guantanamo, that's not an exaggeration. Um, you know, no trial dates, no nothing. It's been over a year. So that said, um, the only other thing was, are you familiar with what's going on? And I, you'll have to forgive me, I'm not from that area. <laughs> but I I know Dominic went to SUNY. I don't know, not this different, like, places. Like, we have UMass here. There's right. UMass, Dartmouth, Boston, Amherst. Sure, you know, sure. what I mean? so this. So SUNY, are you familiar with one of the one of them where there is um, a cop killer that's going to be doing a uh, some sort of a talk, and that yeah, there's a crim- yeah SUNY Brockport, SUNY Brockport, and the criminal justice professor that has that's a former police chief that has left his job there um, in protest. I I don't know why people aren't. We're just so numb to things, and we're it's like what's up is down, what's right is wrong, like. Why is that person, and one of the widows is still alive, you know, are you familiar with how those cops were answered? Yes, unfortunately I am. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a horrific case, absolutely. And I, I just don't know why more light isn't being shed on that, and why isn't, like, the president of that university being given, you know, at least being reamed publicly. I mean, it's a disgrace. What does that man have to offer criminal justice students he was, I mean, he was part of the Black Panther thing. He intentionally killed them. He shot one of them 22 times. One was a black officer, one was a white officer. And that's all that mattered to him is that they were part of the system. And I just think it's disgraceful because isn't that a state university? Yes, it is. SUNY Brockport. It, it absolutely is. And I, again, I talked about it at the time. And now the event, the, the latest is it's going to be virtual um they announced mm-hmm. that uh, just the other day and uh, mm-hmm. because there were so many concerns about security because the event had become so uh, so controversial uh, great points all Jennifer thank you Eric's in Manhattan hello Eric uh hey Frank and thank thank you because I don't know if, if I would have heard about this otherwise like it's uh 30 years you said to pay it back well, no, I mean, if you, you know, go by her math. So what she says, <laughs> no, if what longer. she what she says is that it's the the Buffalo Bills generate twenty seven million dollars for the state of New York in tax revenue every year. So if the yeah. state is paying six hundred million in taxpayer money, you know, what you know, if you, what's uh, what's six hundred million divided by. Uh, 27 million. So, I mean, but that doesn't take into account the, the time value of, of money. So 600 yeah, divided I mean, by 20. We're doing stuff for, for the, yeah. you know, the state hire more, hire more cops or well, once they, they can do their job, but build some no kill shelter or something, you know, I mean, right now is right, everything well, going on. Well, well wouldn't that be something, right? Imagine, <laughs> imagine if they had a contest, Eric, to see what was the best well, way for the state yeah, yeah, to yeah, get money great. back from a $600 million investment. I am betting <laughs> you would see international minds from all over the world yeah. come forward with proposals <laughs> yeah. for all sorts of different uh-huh. innovative new job-creating yeah, businesses. Yeah. I have one idea in there that's good somewhere, you know. Right. All right. 
But I, and I appreciate you calling, Eric. And, and to your sure. point, um, you really haven't heard about this anywhere else because the yeah, whole world's you know, busy. You know, you know oh, I was asking you, do you think they can make hay out of this in the election? This could hurt Hochul if, if they talk about it, you know. It's such candidate. a good question. And I don't know where the Republicans on this issue stand or, or the Democrats. If um, yeah, if Tom yeah. Suozzi or Jamani Williams come on, I'm going to ask them if they're going to make – I'll ask whoever comes yeah, on yeah, next. Yeah. I'm going to ask them that uh, question. Eric, thanks for the call. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, just, a qu- just a quick question. Uh, I just saw the rules that they put up for the Oscars that you have to follow to be now qualified to – Get an Oscar? Have you seen those rules? Yeah, I talked about it on uh, on Monday. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Be- because it just seems to me that they go directly against the hiring laws that they're already in, a- in existence, where you can't base it on race, sex, age, and all that stuff. And now you have to qualify the movie by how many people you have of a certain sex, age. Uh, it doesn't seem to make any sense. You're not even supposed to ask what people's age are. Remember when the old people said that you know they were getting disqualified because they're too old. Well, so plus the film that won last year, Nomadland, would not uh, have even qualified under the new see? rules. See, that's why I, I, I when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute, this goes directly against everything that they don't want to happen. They don't want you to base it on you know who what you are, it's who you are, you know? I mean, I I know, I just thought, I I didn't know you talked about it on Monday, though, so I apologize. Well, as you mean, shame on you for missing any portion of this show, Rick. Uh, Of course. How dare you? Uh, (laughs) Thank you. And by the way, for anybody that does miss any portion of the show, you can always catch up on the podcast. You can just search The Other Side of Midnight on any podcast platform, any podcast app, or uh, you can just go to WABCradio.com and listen to the show in its entirety. Charlie's in Westchester. Hello, Charlie. Yeah, hi, Frank. You know, based on the expense for this stadium, the Bills play eight games a year home. Mm, right. So that's like three and a half million <laughs> per game right. over the next 30 years. You're right. I mean, it's insanity. Now, she's also trumpeting the fact that it's going to create 10,000 union jobs. I'm not sure, you know, what that number is based on, but let's say she's right. Would that change your view at all? No, not at all, because they are temporary during the construction, and I suspect that you'll have construction overruns to boot. Oh, I, that's a that's a, a suspicion. I think you're absolutely right on, Charlie. Thank you for the call. Uh, we're going to talk with Dominic Crea next. He's a fascinating person who is now trying to find a way to expose informants who lie. I find this to be a fascinating project. We're going to talk about it in uh, just a minute. Dominic Crea, the founder of Justice Technology Professionals, joins me in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Well, then my chance to get 
This is Jamiroquai singing that song uh, made famous by Napoleon Dynamite, um, which I haven't seen in a while. I could probably see that one more time. So I have covered a lot of criminal cases over the years. I've commented on a lot of criminal cases over the years. And most of these cases never go to trial. Upwards of 90% never go to trial. Somebody takes a plea. Occasionally, someone actually chooses to roll the dice and actually go to trial. I give credit, by the way, to anybody who chooses to go to trial in this day and age. I really do. Because the easy thing to do is avoid a trial and take a plea. The easier thing to do is to, instead of going to trial, become a cooperating witness or a confidential informant for federal prosecutors, because more often than not, they will then be willing to look the other way on whatever crimes you've committed. Now, in the trials that I have observed, almost all of them have featured informants and cooperating witnesses playing a central role. And on more than one occasion, I have seen cooperating witnesses lie under oath. I've seen them repeatedly perjure themselves. And there's very little repercussions, if any, for these lying informants. Somebody that wants to change some of that is Dominic Crea. Dominic Crea is an interesting guy. He is a uh, podcaster and the founder of something called Justice Technology Professionals. Dominic, it's been uh, too long. Good morning. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Good morning, Frank. Thank you for having me on again, sir. Uh, Dominic, for people that aren't familiar with you, what exactly is Justice Tech Technology Professionals? We're a, a litigation support firm, which basically means we just assist counsel and the attorneys and their clients to prepare for trial throughout all stages of getting indicted all the way up to trial. So, so if I uh, if I'm indicted and I choose to go to trial, my lawyer, uh, he hires your team and you guys help prepare for the trial. That, that's correct. OK. Uh, and you got a great YouTube channel. People could just search Justice Tech Pros and you do some great videos on there. Now, you also have a pretty personal connection with the criminal justice system, don't you? That's correct. What is that? Uh, yes. The last case I was involved in was my uh, father's case, and he went to trial with three other gentlemen. And uh, unfortunately, they were wrong, wrongfully convicted. And a lot of that conviction was attributed to informants who were getting on the stand and telling out and out lies. And the reason I knew they were lying is because a lot of the um, statements were contradicting to the facts of the case, to a lot of the discovery evidence. And then to even go further with that, after the trial, uh, several of these informants started podcasts and they would go on the podcast and tell stories. And a lot of their stories that they were telling, again, conflicted with 302s and proffer sessions and trial testimony. If people don't know, a 302 is um, is basically an FBI agent's notes about conversations that he has with informants. They're recorded in something called a 302, and then that's disclosed to the defense. So then if they tell a different story on the stand or in the public afterwards, um, you know that they told the FBI agent they were speaking to a, a different story. Now, uh, your father's in prison now? Uh, correct. 
And how long is his prison sentence? Uh, it's, it's a life sentence. Him life and sentence. three other gentlemen who were uh, mm-hmm. found guilty. All right. Well, um, I, we'll we'll talk about your father's case another day. But sure. What is the problem with how cooperating witnesses and informants are used? In the criminal justice system today, I think and look, I I have a a history, rightly so, and a a reputation as being very pro-defense. But I think everybody, even the staunchest pro-defense person, recognizes that you do need to use cooperating witnesses and confidential informants from time to time to have some knowledge about what goes on when it comes to criminal activity, especially especially conspiracies. What's the problem with how informants and cooperating witnesses are used today? Well, the problem I'm seeing is uh, the honesty factor. A lot of these in- informants are being promised things of uh, benefits uh, and huge bonuses, so to speak, in exchange for their testimony, and, and they're not being held accountable for their for their own issues in exchange for testifying against a higher target. So what's happening is they're making the uh, prize, so to speak, uh, so much so that you're finding a lot of informants that they're just telling the um, prosecutor and their handler what they want to hear. And they're, they're, they're going with facts that aren't accurate. They're out and out lies. They're going with tales that are just tall tales and they're kind of giving as much information that they can, that they think the prosecution wants to hear, not based on reality and not based on fact. Now, when I've watched a lot of criminal trials, when the prosecutor is questioning the cooperating witness on direct examination towards the end of the testimony. It's the same script every time, you know, um, the, the prosecutor asks the cooperating witness something like, what is your understanding of what your um, obligation is here today? The cooperating witness says, my understanding of the agreement is that I have to tell the truth. Have you been promised anything for, um, you know, for g- giving your testimony here today? No. Do you have any expectation of what your sentence will be after your testimony here today? Uh, answer always no. Um, what, what is your understanding of what will happen if you lie here today? And the cooperating witness always says, like they're reading from a script, it's my understanding that they'll tear up my cooperation agreement. Now, in all of the years of trial watching that I've done, and it's substantial, I have seen witness after witness lie, and not once have I ever heard a cooperating agreement be torn up. Have um, have you noticed, have you seen that line of questioning and have you noticed the same thing? Yes, and also I have a problem with that, you know, shtick that they give. It sounds great that they're not uh, expecting anything in exchange for their return. But on the federal level, the truth is what happens is they get what's called a 5K1 letter. And the prosecution gives the 5K1 letter to the judge after their testimony. And basically, it's a glowing review about the informant. They'll tell the judge everything they helped them do, all the high-profile targets they may have helped them uh, convict. So... I always say I'd like to see the statistics on what the informant was facing versus what he received, he or she received, after the 5K1 letter was used and was contemplated by the judge. And pretty much 10 out of 10 times that I have seen, that letter has a lot of power in it. So that letter does 
offer where you see a judge give somebody a slap on the wrist. I mean, it's a get out of jail free card. Let's be honest. That 5K1 letter is a get out of jail free card. Exactly. That's why I think they kind of play with words when they say that to the to the uh, jury and they're saying, well, you're not getting anything in exchange. And that's just not not reality. That's not how it plays out. Uh, No, it certainly is not now. But explain that to folks. How, if the cooperating witness enters into a, a plea agreement or a cooperation agreement with the prosecutor and the, the FBI and the Department of Justice, how do they then lie and get away with just time served? How does that happen? Explain to the uninitiated who might be listening. Well, what happens is they get on the stand, they tell their story, they put on a good routine, the uh, prosecution will make sure they have many rehearsals, rehearsals uh, sessions where they'll have the informant on and they'll go through the motions, ask them all the questions, dress them up so they really look uh, presentable, they give a good, a, uh, a good performance, and then if they get the conviction – then, you know, uh, they, they lived up to their end of the bargain and that will make it into the 5K1 letter. But on the defense side, when you start seeing the contradictions based on motions that were submitted pre-trial, based on discovery where they're saying they had something on tape that they never had. And it, it's a little frustrating in a lot of ways because a lot of these, um, uh, uh, discovery information is always housed under a protective order. So you can never really talk about it. So even on my podcast, you know, I can't go into details on certain things where I could explain how I know somebody's lying and compare it to the court transcripts based on the 302s because you can't really talk about those things. But what happened was, which I'm sure you noticed in recent times, you have all these different informants. I think it's almost like the informant playbook where after they're done informing, they want to do a, a YouTube career oh. or a podcast career. And there's podcasts uh, popping up left and right with all these informants. And if you pay attention and you start listening just to the podcasts, you'll see a lot of contradicting stories, a lot of um, events that changed, a lot of details that changed just from listening from their own words within the podcast. And that's kind of what spawned what I'm working on, this We Pushback movement, because it I started just thinking – well, I, I think this needs to come to light. And it doesn't matter what my opinion is on an informant. That's irrelevant. The, the the way I feel for the public, at the very least, the public and potential jurors, they want the informant to tell them the truth. That's very important. All right, we're going to talk about the We Push Back in just a second. One of the things that I learned at your website, WePushBack.com, is that um, and I knew that this was pervasive. I didn't have any idea how pervasive is you have a link to an article that shows the FBI authorized informants to break the law. Okay, we've figured this bending of the law when you run around with criminals. The FBI authorized informants to break the law 22,800 times in four years. Is that accurate? That's that's I, I put the article up. I put the citations up and seems to be very accurate. And that's what a part of the website's going to be. It's a hub where you could pull those information. The public could read the statistics, read the different cases. You know, it's uh, it's organic. So it'll be growing. There'll be things that'll be added to it. It's really just to give the public an insight onto what goes on because they're just not aware of these things. I see it even with my podcast. I'll get emails. Oh, I was never aware of that. You know, I wasn't privy to that information. And I just feel it's very important for the small part I could do. It's really, I appeal to the public, potential jurors, so defendants could possibly 
have a more reasonable juror, a more open-minded juror who will give them a fair shot because they understand the entire picture. And they understand now with this little um, addition to the puzzle, they'll start understanding about informants and and they'll really digest who's in front of them a little bit more uh, with quality. They'll be able to understand the person's in front of them. They'll just have a little background to not automatically assume everything out of their word is gospel. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dominic Crea. He's launched a new website called WePushBack.com that's trying to push back against the way informants and cooperating witnesses are able to get away with brazen dishonesty to help send people to prison while getting a get-out-of-jail-free card for their own crimes. Now, Dominic, we um, we know of a lot of the top echelon informants, people like Whitey Bulger, Greg Scarpa, Frankie Blue Eyes Sparacco, people that were able to commit horrible crimes uh, with the consent and in some cases the assistance of their FBI handlers. Uh, we've also seen other instances where informants, the, the recent plot, and I, that's air quotes, plot, to kidnap the governor of Michigan comes to mind, where informants are actually the tip of the spear in getting a criminal conspiracy going. From what you've observed, how often are the informants, the people that are working with and in some cases being paid by the federal government, how often are they the ones that are actually the tip of the spear to get a crime started? Uh, very often, in the, in the few cases I've I've worked on, they were pretty much the wheel that started everything going. Uh, they're, they're the ones who were going out there and initiating the crimes a lot of time. Um, in the last case I was on, you have informants on tape actually trying to convince people to get involved in drug dealing, and you hear the defendants on tape, I want nothing to do with that, and they're pushing the issue. So I've seen it play out a few times on, on several cases I was involved in. And – are informants paid generally? Yes. Um, uh, again, one of the cases I was involved, they were going to, when the defense had the informants on the stand and they were going over cross-examination, they were rambling off all the numbers that they were receiving. And we're talking big numbers, hundreds of thousands. You have informants who uh, the government was paying their child support, paying their rent, paying for automobiles, paying for their travel. You're talking all different expenses. One informant uh, on tape that was paid in trial was talking to the talking to the agent through his wire how he wants to get a, a cashmere sweater and they're negotiating about getting him a cashmere sweater I, i've seen it all do we have any idea how much the fbi or the taxpayers spend paying informants no everything i've seen they keep that pretty much low key the last article uh, that i found with some numbers which i posted on the site was from 2014 and it was over half a billion dollars that were spent on the uh, confidential informants i don't know what it is now we're in 2022 i haven't seen any current numbers but that was the last big figure that i saw that was spent in one year so what exactly is WePushBack.com? Explain that to our listeners and explain what you're trying to achieve exactly. Absolutely. Ba- basically, I had my podcast for two and a half years. You and I spoke about it in the past. And uh, within the last, I would say, um, 10 months, about 10 months ago, I started noticing channels popping up. There was different channels popping up that were 
focusing on the informants, uh, which I referred to earlier, all these different informants who have their podcasts. And you had a lot of these littler channels popping up and they were just pointing out the inconsistencies and the lies based on things they have seen, based on past episodes, maybe that the informant has done, interviews, because they're all over, they're trying to be famous. So they're doing a lot of interviews. So a lot of individuals were just doing their own podcast, calling out all these different inconsistencies and basically uh, calling them out on their, on their nonsense and talking about it and bringing it to the public's attention. So there were several of these podcasters. So I figured a good way that's a win-win for everybody is I wanted to create a hub. And what the hub would be is the wepushback.com. And it would bring people because now you have different platforms. Now you have all the content creators on YouTube or on different podcasts. Now you're, you're entering the arena in the web space where you're just gaining more traffic. You get an SEO result. You're bringing people to this hub. So now when they go to the hub, they could see all the different members, see all the different content. People get new listeners, new subscribers listening to their content, all while bringing attention to this issue. And also, which was very important to me, is I wanted to give um, those impacted by these lying informants a voice. So they could call if they want to come and contradict something, if they want to come and talk about something. Because if you listen to a lot of episodes these informants do, I mean, not only do they put people away, then they go on these episodes, they bash defendants. Right. I hear them laughing at people. Mm-hmm. I I heard one informant. They also destroy- laugh about the victims sometimes, right. their own victims. That's right. That's right. And you hear them laughing about how crazy they are. You know, they all got to say how they're so tough and they're killers and they kill everybody. It's really just a big like bluff session. And it's disturbing when you hear it. And you have all these families, you have family members of the defendants affected, and they have to sit there and hear lies about their family members being Mm. told day in, day out, people being made fun of. And I figured, okay, no matter how flat you make a pancake, it's always got two sides. So it's time for for the other side to be heard. Uh, so basically what WePushBack.com is, is a central hub that serves as, if I have a YouTube channel uh, where I expose the lies of an informant, you would house it or link to it on WePushBack.com. And it, well, it's not just for that. It's really about the ideology. A lot of our channels that are part of our hub do things that aren't even related. We, and I think that adds the value of it because we'll have channels that talk about music. We have channels that talk about mental health. There's a channel that, uh, the gentleman just focuses on helping kids, but the overall theme, they'll hashtag we push back. They'll bring it up every once in a while and the impact. And what I like about that is just not constantly, you know, then it turns into white noise. If you have all these podcasts just talking about the same thing day in, day out, it's white noise. It gives a different spectrum. So it brings in viewers, it brings in the public, and the overall goal is to just give the public the information. Just let the public go listen to the two different sides and then decide with where they where they feel who's telling the truth and who is not. So the hub kind of draws everybody in. It brings everybody to the different content creators that are members. And all that we have in common, we all align with the same core belief. We may not agree with informants. We may not like the concept of, you know, uh, not being accountable and you want to distribute somebody else to take the fall for something you may have done. But the bottom line is the lies are the problem. When they're not telling the truth, they're putting people away based on their lies. We all come together based on that. And this is in its infancy stage. It's only a few months old and it's building. We're getting members. 
we sent out, I sent out a bunch of um, t-shirts with, with, with the website on it to bring traffic. We have listeners and um, supporters posting pictures all over social media, wearing the shirts. We push back. So it's just right now it's in the infancy stages where we're just bringing attention to it. And, and it's organic. I'm sure it will grow. We'll be using the hub for different things. And the overall theme is really just bringing attention to the criminal justice system, how it works, what goes on with these lying informants, how it impacts defendants in hopes that the public starts gaining knowledge and starts when they sign up for jury duty, they take it seriously mm. and they have an open mind. Is there a risk that this could lead to a sort of Internet vigilantism with certain witnesses who some people claim are not telling the truth? Being terrorized by, you know, by, you know, by everybody, I don't know, by their neighbors or anybody else? Well, it, it goes both ways. I mean, there's a risk right now of, of family members, defense te- defendants getting abused, getting tormented. You got to see the comments that they leave under all these informants' uh, pages, abusing people, calling people murderous low lives without even knowing the facts of the case, just going by what the informants saying. So they've been on here for years and years doing that. Now, if we're just giving another side to it and we're just saying, okay, that's their story. We're going to show that they're not telling the truth. Mm. We're going to show the inconsistencies. We're going to show their true persona because that's another thing in court. They always try to put on their best behavior. But when you see them on YouTube, it's a whole different personality. And I know I'm going to face a lot of adversity. I already have. you got to see some of the comments I get. I had an informant uh, spiral out of control. He went on another podcaster's uh, uh, show uh, who's uh, an informant supporter, and that's fine. That's what he does. And on the show, he's actually saying they want to have RICO charges against myself wow. and the whole, the whole We Push Back movement. Wow. Uh, and and, and I find that funny because for all these years – Nobody pushed back on them. No, they've just been talking. By the way, there's never been a problem. Dominic, and we're almost out of time here, yes. but this is totally nonpartisan, right? You could be a Republican, a Democrat, liberal, conservative, and, or, and embrace the notion of holding informants accountable, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, very quickly, for everybody. before we run out of time, this was the word from uh, legendary Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz on the We Push Back movement. In my uh, almost 60-year experience as a criminal defense lawyer, I have learned um, that um, lying informants are unfortunately all too common in our criminal justice system. Um, These informants not only sing, they often compose. Uh, They make up stories because implicitly prosecutors... um, Send a message. Sometimes it's not an explicit message, but a message. The better your information for us, the more we can do for you. And this inclines uh, many, many informers to elaborate on their story, to make up information about innocent people. And it's very important to expose this and to... Um, uh, let juries and judges and legislatures and the general public know about the dangers of using of using informers. Um, you know, informers' information should really always have to be corroborated by a non-informer testimony or documentary or other uh, evidence. Even that's often not enough of a protection because. A smart informer can tailor his or her testimony 
to the existing true evidence and just make it stronger and more pro-prosecution. So, um, look, nobody wants to see the innocent uh, falsely convicted. Our system literally goes back to the Bible and to Blackstone, better 10. Guilty go free than one innocent be wrongly confined. The extensive use and promises to informants uh, undercuts that uh, traditional approach to criminal law. So it's important to fight back against it. Dominic, uh, sounds like quite an endorsement there. Um, Please keep us posted on this and uh, let us know uh, any news that develops in the We Push Back movement. Absolutely. And as always, thank you very much for having me on, Frank. Sure thing. It's my pleasure. Check out the website, wepushback.com. If you know of somebody that has a, a podcast or a YouTube page or a blog that uh, fits with this, maybe you hook up with these guys, wepushback.com. I'll take your calls next, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Uh, this is the other side of midnight. Hopefully these are the good old days for you. 800-848-WABC. Straight to the phones we go. Let me begin with Leo in Manhattan. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm uh, doing just fine. In my youth, I lived 30 years, as you maybe know, remember, in a Czech communist country. And uh, there was informers on every corner. Oh, I can like imagine. I should think of... There was a signature thing. Uh, they were sending always these informers in the bars. Check, check working class goes after work always for a few beers. And this was guys who started, either way started conversation, uh, bad talking the communists on Russian or, or, Le- or Lenin or Brezhnev to provoke the people start talking about it. And then they locked them up. Or they start with the politic jokes. Oh, I'm not surprised. People who got a little bit drunk, they, they, he said one joke, and they told him back two jokes and ended up in jail for just for a political joke about president. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Leo, thanks for pointing that out. Appreciate that. You know, look, I recognize, as I said, the need for informants in the criminal justice system. I'm not naive. Here's what I have a problem with. I have a problem with them getting a slap on the wrist for a lifetime of crime. I have a problem with them lying. I have a problem with the fact that so many of them, when they get this second chance at life, seem to go out and commit new crimes. And I have a problem with the coziness that these FBI agents and prosecutors have with these cooperating witnesses and informants. You know, I I remember I went to a sentencing one time of a cooperating witness just to see what he was going to get. And of course, 
your government has decided we don't get to have cameras in federal courtrooms, so I have to actually go. But um, would it be nice if I could just watch it on television or something? And a former prosecutor was there, and he was greeting his former colleagues, the current prosecutors. And everyone say, oh, what are you doing here, Michael? What are you doing here? And he said, and the informant was also named Michael, he said, oh, yeah, I promised Michael I'd be here for this. What? He's acting like he's got this kinship with this lifelong criminal. It made me sick to hear a, a former prosecutor who has no business being there or no interest in being there, there, just to support his crime-committing pal. I didn't like it. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. When I was a child, I, I, you know, I had a very good relationship with my grandparents, the ones that I knew. I had my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, who I'm named for, died before I was born, so I never knew him. And my maternal grandmother died when I was just a little baby, so I don't really have any recollection of her. But I had a very good relationship with both my paternal grandmother, and my maternal grandfather. And so often, I mean, we were super close. I was super close with both of them. And so often, as a seven-year-old, six-year-old, five-year-old, you know, little kid, I would always, I would often fantasize about wouldn't it be great if grandma or grandpa lived with us in our house. And I'm sure just the thought of that would make my mother or my father just scream. But I would read about other cultures. And that was not an unusual thing. You read about uh, cultures all over the world. They have uh, parents, grandparents, and the kids all there. All under one roof. In some cases, it includes uncles. Uh, and I thought, that's got to be really fun. Great way to be close with family. I don't know that I'd want that <laughs> these days, but it, I, I thought, you know, that's fun, especially for the kids. And, you know, a lot of times it can be easy for easier for the adults, too, to have somebody to pitch in with child rearing and things like that. Now, if you were to guess, over the last 50 years, would you say... I'll ask you, Matt Blaze. Would you say over the last 50 years that the number of multi-generational households 
has gone up in the United States, has gone up or gone down? I would say down. And and why would you say that? Because the you don't have the same bond and connection as you did years and years ago, especially when you had immigrants, first generation, second generation, third generation, and the first generation that came to this country, and then, then their kids stayed, and then their kids stayed. I would have said the same thing uh, for the same reasons. And you and I would have been absolutely 100% wrong. Hopelessly wrong, as Curtis would say. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Multi-generational living has grown sharply in this country over the past five decades, and it's still going up, 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 and up. It is showing no signs of peaking. Pew Research has a new survey out, and they've looked into this extensively, and they looked into the reasons why this is the case. When asked why they share their home with relatives, Americans often give practical reasons related to finances or family caregiving, but the experience also has an emotional component. About a quarter of adults in these multi-generational homes say it is a stre- it, it is stressful all or most of the time. And more than twice that, more than twice that share say it's mostly or always rewarding. So these are people that have very strong feelings about being in a multi-generational home. Now, it's interesting. According to an analysis of census data from 1971 to 2021, the number of people living in multi-generational family households quadrupled during that time period, reaching 59.7 million in March of 2021. The share more than doubled as well to 18% of the U.S. population. Now, what do we mean when we say multi-generational home? In the analysis um, provided by the Census Bureau, they use two definitions. Multi-generational households are those that include two or more adult generations. Um, mainly that's age 25 and older. So if you're a 30 year old and you're still living with your parents, they consider that to be a multi-generational household or a skipped generation, which consists of grandparents and their grandchildren younger than 25. So those are the two definitions of multi-generational household that fit this bill. And, you know, I delved into this research pretty thoroughly. And apparently there are a number of factors here as to what's driving this. One, as uh, Matt mentioned, immigration is one. And the rapid growth of the U.S. Asian and Hispanic populations, along with the black population, they're much more likely than white Americans to live with extended family, especially if they're immigrants. The fact that immigration has gone up so much has led to an uptick in multi-generational homes. Additionally, 
you have um, a lot of people, young people, that are just staying at home longer. And, I mean, this is a, 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 a trend that we've chronicled before. You have a lot of folks who seem to be essentially postponing adulthood until they're about 30. It used to be, all right, 18 years old, you're out of the house. Then it became, all right, when you're done with college, you're out of the house. Now you're seeing a lot of people live at home, both for financial reasons and practical reasons, much later in life than they used to. Additionally, one other factor, according to the trends, is caregiving. Because you have all these baby boomers becoming now elderly, not all of these families want to or can afford to send them to a home somewhere, so they have them move into the household. And it's interesting, and if you want to comment on this, uh, give me a call, 800-848-9222, particularly if you're in a multi-generational household or if you and and what the emotion what that's like for you emotionally are you one of those people who finds this stressful all or most of the time or are you one of the people that find it mostly or always rewarding or is there something in between 800-848-WABC also if you are in one of these multi-generational households what has driven you to that circumstance is it financial is it um cultural is it uh, because it's an arrangement you've always had? Is it caregiving? What's the reason? 800-848-9222. You know, I remember a conversation that I had with a mortgage broker about four or five years ago. And it was the first time we had lunch. And we're kind of making small talk. And we're talking about real estate prices in the neighborhood where I live in, where I live. And I'm talking, I'm saying how exorbitant it is and how everyone that I grew up with has moved. Uh, there's not a single friend that I had growing up that still lives in my neighborhood. Not a single one. I'm the last of the Mohicans because nobody can afford to live there pretty much. And I said, the only people, and this may sound culturally insensitive or biased, it's not meant to be. It's just an observation. I said, for the most part, the only families that I see paying these crazy prices for houses of eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, not a year, but for a, a house, are Chinese families. And this fella, this mortgage broker, said, "Yes, that's the case where I am too." You know why? That's because the Chinese families are willing to do something that. A lot of Caucasian American families are no longer willing to do, which is they're willing to combine the resources of multiple generations in order to be able to afford a house. So I find this trend very interesting, and I found it very surprising for some of the same reasons Matt Blaze mentioned. Now, my wife grew up in a multi-generational household. She grew up, now picture this house, nine kids, nine kids. She, My wife is one of nine. Their uncle also lived with them, and their grandmother also lived with them. And I think the grandmother had sold part of her house in order to put an addition on this house so that they could, you know, 
find have a place for all nine of these kids to sleep. 800-848-9222. Thoughts, observations, anecdotal experiences. Lori is in Newburgh. Hello, Lori. Hello. How are you? Hang on. Let me check. I'm doing just fine. Thank you, Lori. Okay. I just, I'm on my way to work and I just wanted to, I listen to you every morning. I love you, Frank. And I just wanted to let you know that I think a lot of people recognize now that with the call back on houses, there's a lot of people that, you know, their fathers and mothers own their homes and it comes time for them to have to make a decision to put them in a home for reasons that they really should go in a home for safety reasons. The parents haven't signed the house over. It used to be five years. I believe now it's 10 years. I don't know the education on that. But a lot of people are forced to take their families back in their homes because if not, they're going to go into a nursing home and their home will be eaten up in a matter of a year and they'll lose everything. And they make the decision to bring them home to save the house. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, That is, I mean, it sounds like a practical decision and a pretty common sense decision from that point of view, Lori. Lori, thanks for the call and thanks for your nice words. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Talking about this trend of the number of multi-generational households in this country, it's exploded over the last 50 years. Much to my surprise, much to the surprise of Matt Blaze. Justin is in Central Virginia. Hello, Justin. How are you doing today, sir? I'm hanging so, in there. Um, Thanks. Awesome. So I grew up with my grandparents and my mother in the same home. I'm actually 22 years old now, and I found that um, kind of being parented in that way gave me, like, different choices. I, I have um, a different outlook as opposed to my current generation where I'm more focused on, you know, kind of taking care of myself and as well as my family. And there there are definitely a lot of benefits to being raised, you know, by your grandparents. Like, for one, old-fashioned values and things like that are applicable to money, you know. Saving 25 cents at the gas pump is very important, and a lot of people overlook simple things like that. And it's a great way to uh, continue the passage of knowledge previous generations and, uh, you know, family traditions. Uh, no doubt about it, Justin. And I think it's great for um, building a relationship with uh, someone's grandparents, you know, and I, I think that's very valuable. My grandmother, I, both my parents worked, uh, so I had a babysitter four days a week, but my grandmother would watch me every Friday and um, and that was really valuable time uh, that I had with her, and I really treasured it. And that's something that my three younger siblings, who were all substantially younger, they never had that. They never got to spend one day a week with uh, with our grandmother. And I think for those reasons, I I always had a much closer relationship with her than than I did. Than they, yeah. yeah, than they did rather. Uh, great call, Justin. Thank you. 800-848-9222-123456. Open lines if you want to jump on board. Mike is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike. How you doing there, Frank? Uh, listen to everything this morning. One thing you should get, get a traffic report every 15 minutes or whatever. I know it's early, but get one because i got to shut you off a little bit before I'm getting ready for work just to hear the traffic. Mike, that is that is the last thing that I want management to hear on this show because now management is going to hear, oh, they see they want the traffic even earlier than we give it to them. It's four fifteen in the morning. Is the traffic really that bad right now? 
you'd be amazed that all of a sudden I'll hear something because I come in from Pennsylvania every morning. And you'll be amazed all of a sudden you'll hear 78 is all, and I know not to go that way. Yeah, it gives you the head up. You'll be, you'll be amazed that but, you so, know, when you wake up in the morning, you don't know what's out there. The, the, the um, and you don't use ways or anything like that that automatically diverts yeah. you from the traffic? No, of course you got ways, but you put on your ways and you start that, you, you know, you got to get close to the traffic to know it. I mean, when they tell me that 78 is jammed up going towards the Holland Tunnel or the Holland Tunnel isn't opened up yet. I can take the Verrazano or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Right, but the, the ways, when it maps your route, it takes that stuff into account. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, it didn't happen yet. It's not going to say anything to it, you know. I, I, I just feel a, a little bit of heads up would be nice. You oh, know what fair I mean? enough. We'll, we'll, take it, we'll take it under advisement. You could do a little a little thing. And every, every half hour or whatever, oh, by the way, I just check it out. That's all. All right. Okay. Uh, thing, fair enough. Multiple generations. The thing is, the immigrants, when they come here, they have nothing. What people don't realize is some of these people never even had a toilet when they were in uh, in their countries. A toilet is a big thing for them. You know, that, that's, and, they, and they'll move in. They won't even look for furniture. They'll sleep on the floor for years until they get everything. And then they all pull their money together, and they'll buy another house and another house. The American kids can't do that because they're spoiled. They're spoiled. They're, and, and they don't even stay together. You know, how, how do you do it when you got three wives? Which mother-in-law do you keep? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? It's, it's, yeah, you know, and you wonder why it ain't do it with the Americans. Hey, my grandfather and grandmother, they lived on top of a place with nine kids plus, plus uh, my father's uncle. Okay, and they lived there, and then as they made their money, that's when they spread out, and they, you know, the business got good, and everybody got what they want. But as far as our generation, we're little spoiled brats. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. And and the thing is, too, we use the remote control now. You know, that's that's you know, just click the channel, get it, and the same thing. Good, click the channel, get another wife. I was smart though. You only go down the aisle twice. Okay, you go once you walk it. The next time they roll you, and that's what you should. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Talking about multi generational households. Um, uh, tr- by the way, some people disagree with Mike. Troy, for instance, writing in the Facebook group, and you can weigh in on the Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Nobody tunes into Frank's show for the traffic. Change the station to a traffic station. Done. No, we don't want people changing the channel. No, no, no. We don't want people changing the channel. But I, I almost feel like, um, well, you know, I, I've done this. I've discussed this with Tom Likas when he's been on the show in the past. Traffic, weather, um, news. It, it's almost something that you can immediately look up on your smartphone. I honestly think that what we need more of on talk radio is talk. You know, um, do we should be doing the things that no one else can do that you can't replicate on your mobile phone. But that's my opinion. 800-848-WABC. Lauren is in New Jersey, or shall I say Loren? Hello, Loren. Oh, uh, Lauren, oh, God, I can do multi-generational and I can do CI. So, you can do whatever um, you like, Loren, whatever you yeah, like. Uh, okay. 
Well, I, want, I don't want to take too much of your time. I think a lot of this rolls around to character. Uh, as you were saying with the CIs, you give them another chance and they F it up, right? So, you know, it was a character issue, but they might have had that in the beginning because, you know, snitches and ditches and all that. And then I, I moved, you know, I, I, I couldn't let member, members of my family uh, die in nursing homes. Now, I'm not judging other people or what they can and cannot do. Couldn't do it. No way. Had to, had to take care of my own. That's that's me. So you you had your parents come, or one of your parents come live with you? No, I moved to uh, I moved. That's how I wound up in New Jersey. I'm from Manhattan, and uh, they couldn't uh, they couldn't do it by themselves uh, anymore. So I moved in with them, and I took care, and they both died in my arms. Ah, uh, well, that, I mean that's sad, that's but I'm sad. sure you I could, need your. Yeah. I was calling for your opinion about something. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Um, well, I, um, as a, as a registered nurse, obviously, uh, I have a confidentiality, uh, situation and a friend of mine for many, 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 many years, uh, her sister was, her, her sister's, uh, the, the gentleman was admitted to the hospital. My friend for many, many years wanted me to go into the chart. Of course, naturally, you had to have AIDS on top of it. You know, not that it would have been anything it wouldn't have been good, but, and, uh, you know, read the chart and tell her all about it. Uh, she hated her sister and uh, doesn't understand that this is a the, the, the problem here. Relationship was lost. I mean, and I, I have no family left. They all died. My friends and well, I mean, I'm not sure understand? I follow. I'm not sure I follow, Lauren. So you can you can you understand that I could not divulge? Right. Of course not. Yeah. Okay, thanks. I just needed a little thumbs up. Yeah, of course. That. So basically, your friend wanted you to give her information from whose chart? Uh, her sister's boyfriend. Her sister's chart. boyfriend's chart. I see. Actually, it would have been anybody. You know, anybody's chart. You right. Know, but right. Right. No, exactly. please. Yeah. No, that's your job. Uh, you can't do yeah, it. Yeah. It, it was. It's just been a horrible loss, and she still doesn't understand. And I. I just needed someone to tell me that I, you know, I, I know I, I'm, it's just very painful. I can imagine. No, I mean, uh, uh, you know, having to lose a friendship because you're doing the right thing, that's the worst thing in the world. Worst thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Okay, well, thanks a lot for your help. Well, I don't know that I did much, but you're welcome. 800-848-9222. Bobby is in Brooklyn. Hello, Bobby. Hey, Frank, how you doing? Uh, I already know how you doing. You're doing well. Hey, listen, I, I moved into my in-laws' house for a while. You know, I took care of my head, the house and the dogs and the cats and everything else, you know. Eventually, my mother-in-law my passed, and uh, eventually my father-in-law, you know, he got, he got sick, and since I was medically retired, I stayed home with him and took care of him. He was a pal of mine, you know, he used to say pal of mine. Well, and how did you it know, work uh, out? How did it work out? Well, you know, it was pretty good. It was rewarding. You know, it was hard, but it was rewarding. And it, uh, it was, he was a character, man. He had a lot of intelligence, man, though. And he was funny as hell. Oh, I, I, I learned a lot over the years. Yeah, I learned a lot over the years dealing with him. But, you know, in the last year, he was mostly homebound, you know, when, when he was stuck. And I sat with him all the time. And he used to tell me some crazy stories. And uh, I don't know. He was just, he had a lot of, he had a lot of insight to, to different things. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, you tell me, like, people would say something on the, on the news or something like that. He said, ah, that guy's an idiot. Something. He would say more than an idiot, a big mouth. You know, and it was funny. You know, he was just a good guy, and he had a lot of, he had a lot of, lot to offer, you know, intelligence-wise. Yeah, no, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Absolutely. Um, well, Bobby, good. I'm glad you had a good experience doing that. 
Yeah, my, my kids were with me. It was my wife, my kids, and my mother-in-law, and my father-in-law. And he did, passed, did you and ever he find? Did you ever find that um, maybe it was a little difficult because you wanted to? Uh, I don't know, run around the house in your boxer shorts, and you weren't necessarily comfortable doing so because your in-laws were there. When my, my mother-in-law, yeah, but my father-in-law, he wouldn't care. He, he don't care about that. He he, he used to run around with his uh, boxer shorts all the time. You know? right, right, right. I can see. <laughs> I can see that being a, a difficult thing sometimes too. What's your living situation now, like Bobby? Uh well, I got separated from my wife, unfortunately, and uh, I'm staying in Brooklyn. I got a place in Brooklyn, and my wife's in, staying in the house over there. My father-in-law's paid. There's nobody there, but there's still dogs. You know, there's always well, dogs. Well, let me there. ask you that. So you you. This was your wife's parents that you moved in with, right? Yes, sir. And then you guys yes, got sir. separated. My Uncle Caesar, who passed away, unfortunately, his first wife, his mother-in-law moved in with them. And he told me years later, this was when he was 90, literally 90. He told me years wow. later that he had a he always resented the fact that his wife, um, then at that time, his ex-wife, his ex-wife never really thanked him for doing the right thing and taking care of of her mother. Now, here you were uh, pitching in to help take care of your in-laws. Did that, A, play a stressful toll on your relationship with your wife? And B, did you feel like your wife appreciated what you were doing for her parents? Well, this is going to sound weird, but we were actually separated before. I, I was living upstate. And we were separated already, and then he got sick, and, and I went back to help. You, you know, because we're friends. My, my yeah, my wife and I are still friends. You know, that's well, but, that's uh, wonderful. I, I, that's great. Yeah, but I went back, and then it got a little too hectic with the dogs, and I had to go. You know, it's time to go. I hear you. Really fast, I, I hear. Well, I'm glad you're doing well now, Bobby. I'm sorry about your marriage. Maybe maybe the next ones will be, turn out even better. I ain't getting married again. No way. <laughs> Famous yeah. last words, my friend. Famous yeah, last yeah, words. Yeah, Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Chris is in New Jersey. Hello, Chris. Um, Frank, when you when that guy was just on, he was talking about people committing uh, perjury and everything with the prosecutors cutting deals. Right, I remember that. Yes. Okay. Um, Denny McLean wrote a book years ago, and they were going to let him off. He, he had he had this cocaine charge. Mm-hmm. They were going to let him off, and the prosecutors were saying. Um, you tell us that you know John Gotti and everything, and we'll drop everything. And he said, I never met the guy. And, it, and they would say, it doesn't matter. You just say that, we're going to let you off. And he wouldn't do it. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, you are exactly um, right. And, I'm, and, and Frank, yeah. and Frank um, I don't know if you got the power to get in touch with him. Jenny McLean, yeah, he's I, still alive. Yeah, I've been Tell trying to get him on this show, it's... actually. I read his book, and I'm trying to get him on this show. Yeah, because when he, when he was talking, I said, I remember that. I said, those rats just wanted to get Gotti, and they were going to let him off. Yeah, uh, and, you know, I've seen the same thing happen um, with a lot of other high-profile defendants as well. But you're exactly right, Chris, exactly right. Yeah, it, yeah it's terrible stuff like this goes on in the justice system. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You're paying the bills for people to go out and commit more crimes. And the FBI justifies it. Oh, this is how we catch even bigger fish. Well, it seems like far too often these informants are the ones creating these criminal conspiracies in the first place. Thank you, Chris. You know, it's funny. I'm not saying this happened. But when I was uh, interviewing Judge Napolitano a couple of months ago, 
former New Jersey Superior Court judge, former legal analyst at Fox News, he said that based on one of the cases that um, had come about as a result of the January 6th prosecutions, he was saying that it sounded like the only way they would have that information that was contained in the indictment is if it was given to them by an informant. And he remarked that occasion how he wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't the informants that were egging everybody on to rush the Capitol and so forth. I'm not saying that happened, but Judge Napolitano brought up that possibility. 800-848-WABC. Pete's on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. I got an interesting story on that, you know, of taking care of parents. Uh, Fortunately, I was able to keep both of my parents out of a nursing home. They actually died in their own home. And they were happy. It was a struggle. But um, the thing is that uh, was very, I, I sleep nights knowing that I did the best I could for my parents. But one funny story, my father was hospitalized in St. Vincent's Hospital. And uh, there was a gentleman in the next bed. I always made sure that I'd call my father and see whoever was in the room with them if they needed anything, if they needed toothpaste or, you know, any kind of food brought up to them when I come to my dad, you know. So this one gentleman, he was very smart. And at the time, my father was getting a little bit of like Alzheimer's. So he was talking a lot. So the guy said to me, I know why you're coming every day taking care of your dad, because he has a lot of money. Now, what happened was about a month into that, the man said to me, I have to talk to you. I go, why? You know, I like I let him talk because I figured he wasn't well. You know, I mean, I got insulted. But, you know, he says to me, you know what? After seeing you coming up every day and what you do, there ain't enough money in the world. You're doing it for love. And you know what? That was the biggest compliment I ever got from a stranger. Well, that's but nice, that. Pete. That's wonderful. I lo- love hearing that, and I'm glad uh, glad you had that time with uh, with your parents, and you were able to work well, out. It was rewarding. It was rewarding. Yeah. I learned a lot. Um, I can imagine. I learned a lot. I can imagine. Thanks, Pete. Mary's in Brooklyn. Hello, Mary. Hi, Frank. Good morning. How morning. are you? I'm doing just fine. So I'm in the process of um, moving out of Brooklyn, New York, and to South Carolina with my daughter, who um, who also lived in Brooklyn, and she has a little baby. And um, the reasons why we're doing it is um, the cost of living here, mm. and also the um, the COVID restrictions. And so South Carolina is more open, and and also um, I'm renting my house. I'm not selling it. And uh, my younger daughter, who lives in um, Florida, just had her mother-in-law uh, fly down and move in with her. So we're two um, multi-generational families. Well, that's I, I, it sounds like that could be a very good situation. Are you guys concerned that you're going to encroach upon one another's space at all? No, because the house I bought in South Carolina has a... Um, has a master bed and um, bed and bath in, on the first floor, and a master bed and bath on the second floor upstairs. And also another reason is because um, I need I need to be on one floor because I have mobility issues with I've I've fallen down the steps in my house here, mm, so um, that's another reason uh, for moving. Well, Mary, you know, the most important thing about moving in with your daughter, and I hope this works out well 
is you can't allow her to alter your late night radio listening at all. We still need you <laughs> listening to this show as much as possible. Well, the thing is, I woke up in the middle of the night and I turned on the radio. So I, I, normally I listen to your podcast. I see. All right. Well, we'll keep that up at least, Mary. <laughs> All right, Frank. Thanks, Mary. Good luck with everything. Let us know how it works out. Appreciate okay, it. Bye. You know, it's funny. That issue of encroaching upon one another's space is real. This A lot of people went through this during COVID. A lot of people found themselves forced to kind of move in with people that they were at the very beginning of romantic relationships with. You know, um, someone I know, I don't want to say who because I don't want to out anybody. Someone I know, their girlfriend moved in with them and their parents during COVID. And this was at a point in their relationship where I think both the parents of this young man and the girlfriend of this young man they saw this was way too much too soon. And I think it really hurt their relationship to this day. I mean, they're still together, but it hurt that relationship to this day. Then if they didn't see the sides of one another that come out when you're living with one another. But, uh, well, I hope it works out. Chris is in Buffalo. We'll give you the last word on this one. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Nice, bro. Good program. Thank you. You there? Yes. On yes. my way home. Uh, yeah, the, on, the, on the thing, I can only go by. I went to Houston because I was making seven, $76 a week in, up here in western New York, and I went uh, worked in oil fields. I ended up in Houston, and I watched those Chinese people. And they would work at a store, so, of course, you know, that's all they knew is how to work at that store. But like the one gentleman said, they lived together five, ten I don't know, 10, but five or six of them, and they'd save their money. And the next thing you know, the guy that was working as a behind the counter for $4 an hour, they were buying franchises of 7-Elevens down there. They were owning the places, you know what I mean? So that's why they lived together. Oh, well, I, I can understand that, Chris. Uh, have you been in one of these multi-generational homes? No, but I still have childhood memories of my grandma's, you know. I mean, I, I was raised by a dysfunctional mother and father and you know the, to be a grandma's i still hold those memories cherish those memories you know with the whole family you know not mothers and fathers but grandma and grandpa and all that i'd love to do that with my daughter my daughter my daughter's 35 and it's got a 15 year old and a seven and then she's got a brand new baby and to oh, move well, it all together i'd love to do that yeah you know? i mean I uh, really it, it does have uh its advantages that's for sure chris uh best of luck to you hey what's your opinion on um the buffalo bills getting 600 million dollars in state taxpayer money for a new stadium <laughs>
You're, so you're welcome. Hey, we are. Exactly. Ne- next time you go to a game, you're welcome, let, let, Chris. Wait, well, I, want, I want to tell you one last thing. I'd like Hochul to take a ride with me to Syracuse or Albany in a truck and see how bad the roads are. We need to start putting our money in, into some infrastructure. Do you, and do you know that they're tearing down all the rest areas and there's not even a place to go to the bathroom for the truck driver? I did not know that, but that certainly strikes yeah. me as a better use of $600 million yeah. than getting exactly. the Bills a new stadium. Chris, thanks for the call. Gene than the other guys. All right, Frank, keep it up, buddy. Okay, you know, there's a lot of things that I can deal with. Kathy Hochul is not worse than Andrew Cuomo. I'm sorry, but Andrew Cuomo was a terror. I I mean, Kathy Hochul is not worse than Andrew Cuomo. Almost no one is worse than Andrew Cuomo. I mean, um, I I don't want to go through the Cuomo record because I'll just get so agitated. Andrew Cuomo was horrible as a governor. I mean, this, he, you know, some you have some politicians who are corrupt. You have some co- politicians who grandstand. You have some politicians that are bullies. You have some politicians who uh, make decisions that are not in the best interests of their constituents. Hello, this is Governor Andrew Cuomo. With Andrew Cuomo, you're four for four. The guy was everything. The guy was everything. I mean, he was like a, a, a dream team of, but whatever. Um, I uh, will save the Cuomo discussion for if and when he announces his candidacy for governor. Now, you want to win a thousand dollars? You're in luck because we're going to give you the opportunity to do that next as part of the thousand dollar minute. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 seventh caller to that number one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll get an opportunity. To answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, if you can pull it off, you'll win $1,000. Call right now. Seventh caller, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. I love yogurt, and I'm going to eat more than my share of yogurt. W-A-B-C. Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. <laughs> all the counselors. We all know this song. Hello, Mata. Hello, Fada. Uh, a letter from camp. And most of you probably know who's singing it here. Alan Sherman. What you may not know is who wrote the lyrics. Lyrics were also written by Alan Sherman along with Lou Bush. Alan Sherman based the lyrics on what? Won't surprise you. Alan Sherman based the lyrics on letters of complaint, which he received from his son, Robert, who was attending Camp Champlain, a summer camp in Westport, New York, in honor of Alan Sherman and his 
and his son, Robert, our contestant for the contest you're about to hear, is actually named Robert. It is, without further ado, time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. No, that's actually not what it's time for, but uh, it is time for the thousand dollar minute. You don't have to play the sound. Everything all right there, man? Presents. It's the thousand dollar minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. What are you in a hurry to go home? You thought I'd do 15 seconds of fame? You could leave 20 minutes earlier? (laughs) Something like that. What's going on in that control room? All of a sudden, uh, we're seeing hashtag bring back Molly all over social media. All right. Well, now let's say hello to Robert. Hello, Robert. Hello. All right, Robert. Um, You familiar with this contest? Oh, yeah. I've heard it. Okay. So basically... I'm going to ask you 10 trivia questions in six, and you're going to have to answer them and get them right in 60 seconds. If you do, you're going to um, be the proud owner of $1,000. Now, um, uh, the timer will begin after I ask the first question. And if you get a question right, I'm just going to move on to the next one so that we can get through all these quickly. All right? Ready to go? Okay. What is the sweet food made by bees? Honey. What president appears on the $5 bill? Lincoln. What professional basketball team plays in Brooklyn? The Nets. What day of the week does Cindy Adams air on WABC? Sunday. What is the world's biggest island? The world's biggest island. Uh... Cold. Oh, boy. Cold. World's biggest island. Donald, Donald Trump uh, wanted to buy it. What's that? Trump wanted to buy this island. Manhattan? No, unfortunately not. It's uh, The world's <sighs> biggest island is Greenland. Greenland. I thought that was a continent, no? No, no. Greenland, it's, a, it's an island, uh, but it is not a continent. Oh, I was going to say Greenland, um, but I thought it was a continent. <laughs> um, well, I guess you learn something new every day, the more you learn. So you 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 were doing well there. You were at a good pace, too. You got four right. You got you lost on the question five, Greenland, not a continent. Now, um, Robert, where is Summers? Is that, in, um, is that in Westchester or is that in Rockland? It's in northern Westchester. Westchester. All right, so do you want, do you want as a consolation prize... Tickets to go see Tommy James and the Shondells uh, or the Rascals and Mickey Dolans of the Monkees at Palladium Times Square? Or would you like a complimentary WABC or the other side of Midnight Baseball cap? Uh, give me a baseball cap. All right. I'm going to put you on hold. Don't sound so excited about it, Robert. Um, give your information to Philippe. Now, Robert's loss is your potential gain because um, you can win a pair of tickets to see Tommy James and the Shandells on May 7th or the Rascals and Mickey Dolans of the Monkees on June 3rd at 
Palladium Times Square, right on 44th Street. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool concert. You have your choice. The way we're going to do this is the same way we did yesterday. Uh, We're going to play a mystery song. And this is someone who is very famous. But he's famous for something other than singing. We're going to play you some of the song. And the first person who calls in and tells me who this person is will be the proud owner of these tickets to either Tommy James or Felix Cavalieri's The Rascals and Mickey Dolan's. All right, let's hear it. Pretty face, heaven took its time on you. And you've got such a easy way. Who's singing? Just what to say and do. 800-848-9222. First person who could tell me who's singing. 800-848-WABC. We'll get these tickets. Let me hear a little bit more. Should have gone on forever and ever. I never felt better. Who do you think it is? 800-848-WABC. Whoever comes up with the, uh, the, the, the first person that comes up with the correct response, we will give you these tickets. 1-800-848-9222. Two, two, two. Now, for the rest of you, uh, you can buy the tickets by you can by going to palladiumtimesquare.com or ticketmaster.com. And when you order, if you use the special discount code radio, not only will they know that you heard about it on our show, but I think you get a, a discount in the realm of 10 to 20 percent, which is pretty significant. Al in Manhattan, who's singing there? That's got to be Chris Rock. <laughs> that is a good guess, but that's slapstick for you. But Have a great day. that is incorrect. Uh, that is incorrect. It is not Chris Rock. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. If you think you know who it is, Mike in Bayside, who's singing there? Vladimir Putin. It is. It is not Vladimir Putin. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Larry in Manhattan, who's singing there? Scott Dale. That's right. That is absolutely right. Well right. done. Um, awesome. I'm going to put you on hold. Give Philippe your information. Are you going to pick Tommy Thank James you. or the Rascals? The Rascals. The Rascals. People like the Rascals. See, I like Tommy James. All right, um, Philippe, take Larry's information. Now that people know it's Scott Bale, let me hear the song again. Uh, let's see if people can tell it's Scott Bale. Heaven took its time on you. Not a very good singer, I must say. And I don't like to critique anybody. Shows you how much they did when they had Joni Loves Chocolate. (laughs) They sang together. This is terrible. I I didn't think anybody was going to get this. Uh, This was a challenging one. Um, Would you have gotten this? No. Yeah, this is a tough one. No, no, no. All right, so that's Scott Baio. Now. Um, you're going to want to stay tuned to the Bernie and Sid show because uh, coming up from 6 to 10, I'm not sure if Bernie's in today, uh, but uh, Sid's definitely here. And um, your guests will include Congressman Peter King from Seafood and uh, Larry Kudlow, who, when it comes to economics, 
Nobody, nobody is more intelligent than uh, Larry Kudlow. So I am looking forward to hearing both of those discussions on the Bernie and Sid show. And uh, if you want to be heard for 15 seconds, we will take your call as part of 15 seconds of fame. Um, Matt Blaze was trying to rush it a little earlier, but um, we're not going to let him. So that's coming up in about five minutes. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds. Now, I finally got around to completing the film King Richard. It only took my wife and I a week to, <laughs> to finish one movie. I mean, it is a long film. But uh, I got to tell you, I know I, I'm cognizant of the review that Debbie Schlossel gave it when she was um, when she was on the show and she didn't like it. She found that some aspects of it were historically inaccurate and she didn't like it for that reason. I didn't go and check and fact check this film. But as far as just a movie goes, I thought this movie was terrific. I really enjoyed it, and even though you sort of know the ending, you know the Williams sisters are going to become successful tennis stars, it's really an enjoyable film. I really thought it was terrific. As far as biographical sports dramas go, I think this is one of the best that I've seen. And I'm not counting Rocky or films like that, Karate Kid, as a biographical sports drama, because I'm talking about true stories. I thought this was really well done. So um, it's it's on Apple TV, and I think it's worth checking out, irrespective of how you feel about Slapgate. All right, we'll do 15 seconds of fame when we come back. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. What's this? Listen to this. You're thinking, you're thinking this is not the Andy B anthem of this show, The Other Side of Midnight. That's right. This is a show composed for us by another listener named Steve Gallo. It is called The Other Side of Midnight. Now, if there's ever been a song that's destined to be an instant classic, this one is it. Song is great. How many radio shows do you know that have had fans write two songs for them? So people can weigh in in the Facebook group whether they like this version or the Andy B version. Let me hear a little more. I like it. It's kind of very midnighty. I like it. Um, 
And Steve Gallo was good enough to actually create another version of this song for my friend uh, Curtis Lewa and his program, Another Side of Midnight as well. Here's the Curtis version. Well, do we have to listen to the whole beginning again? I guess we do. Okay. This is called Another Side of Midnight. version better. I gotta see. We'll see what Curtis says, how he reacts. All right. Uh, now, Matt Blaze, you can almost go home because it is time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Tom is in Bergen Beach. Hello. Biden said Putin shouldn't be in power. Maybe he should look in the mirror. Projection is not a good look. God bless everybody. Victor in Manhattan. Uh, the late Supreme Court Justice Byron Wizard White was asked if he could define pornography. He responded, no, but I know it when I see it. If I were asked to define what is a woman, I would answer no, but I know it by its cackle. <laughs> Cheech in Howard Beach. We are at war. General Eric Adams, we look to you. Make our streets and subways safe and clean, and they will come back. And Anthony, unload that tractor trailer now. Mike in Montclair. Good morning, Frank. Hey, Muriel, if you have a problem with Frank and his cheese fetish, I suggest you call Frank and complain, not Curtis. Don't worry, Frank. Your listeners, we got your back. I don't have a cheese fetish. I like cheese. Phil in New Jersey. Yep, I'd like to thank John Cosmetides, a man who could go anywhere he wants, anytime he wants, do whatever he wants, as much as he wants for getting the truth out there and trying to save America. Amen. Jose in the Bronx. <clears throat> Read the Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Janine Pierce, a criminal and a fraud, is sent an innocent New York City cop to prison. Guy is dedicated. Neil on Staten Island. Yeah, instead of sending the Ukrainians uh, armament, why don't we send the Russians life change tea? It'll be Pooparama, and they could just slaughter them. Eddie in Nassau County. In days of old, when knights were bold, their suits were steel, but their pants were cold. Lauren in New Jersey. Uh, it did help, but it's a gift of your time. Reminds us of our shared humanity. I thank you. Al in Manhattan. May this be the last day of winter, the last day of the Ukrainian war, and everybody... Uh, for Bernie, the attorney. Best wishes. The WABC Early News is next. I'm going to be back at 1 a.m. with the great Dr. Sky. That's a show you're not going to want to miss. Frank Morano, good day.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 